Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One Why One, where normally we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book, but we're not doing that today. As always, my name is Adam St. John. And I am Ian Woodington. And uh, we are going to go through our last uh, definitive director ranking of the year we're doing our first female director and we are talking about the seven films of one Sofia Coppola um so before we kind of launch into a bit about her and and uh collaborators and stuff what was your familiarity with Sofia Coppola films before we we ventured on this week I had seen I'd seen Lost in Translation I saw somewhere like right when it came out and I'll dive into a little bit on the backstory about how I, like, my first thoughts versus my thoughts now. Uh, I had seen The Beguiled, and uh, I think that's it. I think I, I think I was only three out of seven, so there was some, a lot of, uh, a lot of new ventures for me this week. And that, that, that's so funny, and I, I'm, I'm four, I was four out of seven, but only with one crossover with you, because I had seen uh, The Virgin Suicides, Lost in Translation, Marie Antoinette, and then hadn't seen the next three she had done, and and then I and then I recently, before this, I saw On the Rocks uh, last when it came out. So, um, so yeah, we we were definitely unfamiliar with a good chunk of her filmography. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about this discussion. I really enjoyed taking a look at all of her films. Uh, I'm assuming, I mean, your schedule is obviously very hectic, so I'm assuming you got them in where and when you could i did do them chronologically as i've been trying to do on these adventures i did not do them chronologically um and i have found that uh every time that we've done this i have i have not done them chronologically that's always the mindset but it never happens it it has not once happened i think i think uh after the fincher one i think i've tried to make a point of doing that well Kudos to you, sir. Kudos to you. I'm not not trying to say I'm better than you or anything, but I mean, the evidence (laughs) speaks for itself. Shit, wow. This just got real early on. I'm sorry. It got dark. It's tough. It's tough. I'm sorry. I didn't didn't mean it. I I love you. I didn't mean it. It's all great. So so since you're so much better than me, how about you uh, lead us off on our discussion and and maybe give us a little bit of background on one Sofia Coppola. Absolutely. Uh, so, Sofia Coppola was born May the 14th, 1971, so she has just very recently hit a big milestone birthday. Yeah, I'm assuming that she and anybody close to her will never hear this, but if you do, happy belated 50th birthday. Damn uh, right. She is the youngest, youngest child of Francis Ford Coppola, obviously a very big name in the film industry, and his wife, Eleanor, who is also a filmmaker in her own right. Yep. Um, she was, uh, again, born into, not just them, born into a very famous film family. Uh, her relatives include Talia Shire. Uh, people know her as an actress. She is uh, Francis Ford's sister. She was in the Rocky movies. She's in the Godfather movies. Uh, Nicolas Cage is a cousin. Jason Schwartzman is a cousin. 
Um, her brother also, who works with her quite frequently as a producer, Roman, he's directed a couple of things of his own and worked uh, very famously second unit directing a lot of the physical uh, special effects on uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, I did actually, to just sidebar just a little bit, um, Roman has directed a couple movies himself. Now, I didn't get the opportunity to watch CQ, but I did watch a glimpse inside the mind of Charles Swan III, which was very interesting. For the first theatrical film release from uh, the great distributor A24. And uh, let me oh. tell you, if you get a chance, it's on Canopy. If you get a chance to watch, this thing is fucking banana pants crazy. It's like Charlie Sheen post breakdown, like oh, post okay. big public blow-up yeah yeah uh it's just a weird not not a great movie maybe not even a good movie but i mean a real <laughs> kind of like swinging for the fence interesting piece of film i can i i really actually enjoyed kind of watching it even if i didn't like uh the end product um her niece uh gia coppola director as well she's directed palo alto and mainstream uh, Robert Schwartzman, who is a cousin, he's directed a handful of things as well. Uh, Christopher Coppola is a very famous sort of B-movie director. He's a cousin too. So, I mean, as I said, very, very famous family. But to talk a little bit more about her, uh, dropped out of college. Uh, she may have been a little bit rudderless there, not knowing exactly what it is she wanted to do with her life. She started like a fashion line, which apparently milk fed is what it's called. It's only available in Japan. Uh, but then she, she made her first short feature, Lick the Star, which had a, a cameo from Peter Bogdanovich. Did you have a chance to watch Lick the Star this I, week? I did watch Lick the Star, yes. What'd you think? Uh, you know, everybody's got to make their first movie, uh, even if it's uh, not very good. But, you know, hey, we all... we all. I, I Here's the thing. I think as a short film, it, it fails. I actually think, though the seed of a movie is in there like yeah, absolutely. a full length movie uh, yeah, but i think yeah. i think what it is eh, eh, eh. but if, um if, if nothing else i think we can say it lays the groundwork for virgin suicides whether it does that whether it, it succeeds at that is is you know neither here nor there but it, it definitely shows a lot of the strands and themes that she would explore throughout these these seven features well and i'd even go so far as to say that it also there's you could see the kind of uh, character she wants to to investigate with something even like the bling ring too, with something yeah. like like the star. Yeah, absolutely. But her film career goes back very famously even further than that. She, uh, in her very first year of being around, she is in <laughs> The Godfather. She plays the young Corleone being christened in the first Godfather movie. And of course that would come full circle, even though she didn't want to have an acting career. Of course she's in Godfather part three or, uh, Coda, the death of Michael Corleone, whichever version you choose to go with these days. I personally, I think, uh, Coda was an unnecessary adjustment. I, I still prefer, uh, Godfather three as it existed in 1990. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do any shit talking about her performance. I, I think she did as as well as she could not being a professional actor with the material that she was given. You know, it's been it's been a long time since I've seen the third Godfather. I've never and I've never just turned on one of them to watch them. Like if I'm gonna watch if I have an inkling to watch The Godfather over consecutive nights, I'm gonna watch them all. Because because that's just that's just who I am. So I th I've seen the entire trilogy 
twice. I, I I understand the the overall complaint with the Godfather Part Three, uh, in terms of like it, it it's kind of about a lot, and it's it's kind of, it's it's not that it's too much, but it's also it's unfocused in a way. I don't I don't think she's bad. I I think it's it's not a great performance by by any means, but I also don't think it's the like. <laughs> shit show that people make it out to be i just i don't think it's that bad no i've i've never i've never thought that it was as bad as everybody's made it out to be i really actually like the ending the ending does genuinely touch me and bring me to tears i think her scenes with andy garcia are actually pretty good now i i gotta be and i'll be honest too because i i i actually this this might be the hot maybe this is the hottest take of the episode i don't know I think The Godfather Part Three is worse with with Winona Ryder. I don't think that's see that's interesting. I don't. I'm not a big Winona Ryder fan, but I do think that she plays quirky. I love her in Heather's. I like her a lot in like um, Beetlejuice. I there's a niche that she found early in her career, and it's not that she can't do dramatic. I don't think this is the right part for her. I think she sticks out like a sore thumb. She's so clearly not Italian. I, I don't know. I don't think it's the right part. I think it's a Hollywood pick. Okay. Yeah, no, I can I can get behind that. Who who would you cast? Like think late eighties, oh, early nineties, like who I'm sorry, I'm kinda of putting you no, on the spot. No, and I'm uh, I'm completely tangentially like derailing the episode. What but about, we're talking uh, about Sophia. Uh, so. Um um who's uh, is it uh Mary Elizabeth Mashantonio? Is she in the color of money? Yeah. She could fucking yeah. do it. Yeah, absolutely. Boom. I'm gonna take that's, a sip of my, not, taking a that's sip not of my bad. beer. That's that's a that's a good pick. I was also thinking, I mean, her American accent, as we saw in Fight Club, is not the best in the world. But Helena Bonham Carter, I think, would have been an interesting choice. Like, what think about she, where she, what, think about where she, she was. Like, the, how old was she at that point? I she would have been the right age. Okay, I mean, because okay. you want. You want like late teens, early twenties. I mean, I she had what? What has she done? She had just done that year. She had just done Ophelia in the the Mel oh, Gibson that's Hamlet. Right, that's right. Okay, so that's kind of right. where my mind's at. Yeah, yeah. I think that would have been maybe again, maybe not the right pick, but a pretty interesting one. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so yes, yeah, so she she did her so going back to Sophia, she did her first. Uh, short like the star and then kind of got bitten by the directing bug she was given a copy of the virgin suicides uh by a member of the band sonic youth and then the rest is history yeah. uh and we're about to dive into that history we're going to take a look at all seven of her features rank them all and then give you our cumulative list at the end and she's already got her next project all lined up again at apple tv like the last one on the rocks uh, it's called the custom of the country based on a 1913 novel by Edith Wharton. And again, it seems like she's she's going to go back to some of those themes that she's explored. Uh, and maybe, I think, based on the, the plot of this film, maybe try and rehash and, uh, and re-examine some of those themes from uh, Marie Antoinette. The, the custom of the country is about a Midwestern girl attempting to ascend in New York society at the turn of the century. Yeah, so let's... Uh... I, I think maybe uh, we could just quickly uh, list out uh, the films that she has directed. Uh, and those would be The Virgin Suicides from 1999, Lost in Translation, 2003, Marie Antoinette, 2006, Somewhere, 2010, The Bling Ring, 2013, 
The Beguiled, 2017, and most recently On the Rocks uh, from 2020. Um, I also, I, I wouldn't say that I rewatched, but I re-listened and glanced uh, at A Very Murray Christmas, which is just kind of a cheeky thing. Like, it's, it is what it is. It's, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's definitely got its moments. Um, so before we jump into uh, the the rankings, our our, our choices, um, you mentioned that the next movie that she's going to write is based off of this Edith, uh, Edith Wharton book, which is which is interesting. And I think one of the things I really appreciate about her is that not only do her source materials vary, uh, and I would say quite a bit, but also, um, you know, half of her movies or almost half um, are these original ideas, these original scripts. And then other times it's based off of a novel or um, uh, 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 an article or, you know, uh, a novel. And uh, what we could talk a little bit about with the beguiled, but also, you know, it's hard to not associate that with the other film, but just uh, that she, she also has been at least the the sole or co-writer of every film that she's directed. Yeah. And got uh, special attention for that she got uh, didn't she get some sort of honorary oscar or some sort of was it was it a prize at con I'm, I'm blanking on it here i'm gonna have to take a look at my notes but she she got some sort of honorary award for lost in translation for the just the the importance of being a female filmmaker writing directing and producing her own independent film um i i, I don't know about can but i know that that was um her being nominated for three uh, Academy Awards in one night was right. Uh, the, the the first woman to do so, and then the, the, I believe it's the is it the seventh now it it's the seventh female director overall to be nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then in terms of you know uh, collaborators of note or who she's worked with a lot, I mean, we'll just I'll just say that Sarah Flack has been her editor since Lost in Translation. She's she's edited. Uh, all of her films. Um, she frequently collaborates with uh, her, with Roman Coppola. Uh, usually uh, he, he's listed as a producer. Um, uh, you know, she's done a lot of stuff with focus, a lot of stuff with a 24. Um, in terms of, of note, you know, yes, we talked about this off mic, but Harris Savitas is probably the, the biggest name of somebody she's worked with as a cinematographer. Uh, who we'll talk about a little bit uh, when we get there, but convinced her to keep a really, really great shot in the bling ring that yeah. I'm glad stayed in that movie. <laughs> um, Might be the best piece of trivia about that film. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't really know that I have anything else. I mean, yeah, her father, Francis Ford Coppola, was listed as a producer for her first film, which doesn't surprise me. I mean, you know, she's just getting into the game. Dad, dad can help out a little bit there. and Yeah. But that was uh, the American only time. Zoetrope. Yeah, American yeah. Zoetrope has turned into something of a family business, which it's really awesome to see it, it kind of come full circle in the way that it has. Well, given given her career over the last 20 years and his career over the last 20 years, I'd say she's definitely keeping it going. Yeah, absolutely. Though I, I won't hear a bad word said about youth without youth. That is a spectacular piece of film. Oh, my! that comment I just made is all based off of... Uh, like what I've read, I have not seen any any of those movies he's made in the last twenty years. I know I I really wanted Twix to be better, and it's just it's not. I'm I I really wanted to like that movie. I will take your word for it. 
Um, but I, the the only other person that I would really shout out as far as collaborators go, Thomas Mars of the band Phoenix, who she has been married to since 2011. He has scored On the Rocks, Beguiled, and Somewhere. He's And he's in... Um, wait, no. Aren't they in Marie Antoinette? They... Yes. There you yeah, go. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, in, in case you haven't listened to a director ranking episode before, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go from the bottom to the top. Uh, we will wait for the highest uh, ranked one of us. So if if my seven is Ian's four, we won't talk about it until we get to four. At the end, we'll recap ours and come up with the cumulative list and give you the definitive 1,001 by one ranking of Sofia Coppola movies. Now, before we start, one last little bit of trivia. Obviously, Coppola, very famous for his wines. Have you tried the Sofia Rosé named after her? Um, I can tell you with absolute confidence that I have not, um, if for no other reason than I'm not a big rosé fan. Okay, well, that's uh, kind of anticlimactic, but I, <laughs> being the wine connoisseur that you are, I thought I would ask I have and had, put you on the spot on mic. I, I have had a lot. I have had two or three of the Coppolas, um, but just not the rosé. Although I say that, and my wife's probably pissed because she loves rosé. So now, now I will have to make a concerted effort to find it, and, no. and then I can report back soon. Because uh, I mean that that claret is uh, fucking banging claret. It, by it the way, is. it's very good. It is very good. Um, I, I have no idea where we left off on this. Who, who's going first? I, I don't remember who did it last time. It, it's, it's been, do you uh, want a rock, paper, scissor for it? Sure. It's like one, two, three, go yeah, or go, yeah. one, like two, go three, on go. three, one, okay. two, three, shoot. Okay. And not that anybody can see this. So. It's great. No, this is great podcasting. <laughs> one, two, three. Ah, shit. All okay. Right, let's do it again. One, two, three. Okay, you cut me. Okay. I, I had paper. Uh, I, I had scissors. Adam had paper, so I'm going first. Uh, <laughs> well, let's see. Let's see if it gets controversial and uh, contentious right up front. My number seven is On the Rocks. My number seven is Marie Antoinette. Okay. Well, uh, let's talk about Marie Antoinette because that is my number six. Okay. Uh, for what it's worth, so just that we we can get queued up for the next one. My number six is on the rocks. Okay, fantastic. Okay, okay. So that all right. That's I, we're somewhat in sync from the beginning. It's all not right. going to be I that contentious up front. Okay. So where do you want to start? Which one first? Uh, let's let's do Marie Antoinette. I fucking hate this fucking movie. Oh, here it goes. Here it is. Okay, we here's get- the thing. We've done, this is our, what is, <laughs> sorry, what is this? This is our, our sixth one of these, right? We've done Nolan Fincher, Spielberg in the 2000s, Inaritu, Mendez, and now Sofia Coppola. This is our sixth right. one of these. This is the only time, the only time in one of these director rankings where I was actually doing chores around the house when this movie was on. I... About 45 minutes in, I, I couldn't, and I've seen it before, and I, I just, I, 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 I don't like it. I don't like it, and, and, and I can give you many reasons why, but I just, that my, that's my, I want to give you my gut, just my gut punch reaction right off the bat. I think this movie is fucking terrible. W- would you like to expand on that? Okay, so, you, you, let me, let me start with what works, right? Okay. Obviously, 
the costumes, the hair and makeup, filming in Versailles, gorgeous, wonderful, impeccable. Like the Oscar win for costume design, more than deserved. More than deserved. Yeah, it's very pretty to look at. Absolutely. Absolutely. And part of me even really loves the attention to detail for certain moments. I, um, I, the earliest thing I can cling to is this idea of going going through the little tent thing, exiting uh, uh, Austria and entering in France. Or was it Austria? Is that where she's from? I, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Going from going from Austria to France. Like I go. That's like in my mind. I go. That's neat. That's a that's a cool thing to know. I also I could have probably read that somewhere, but like in terms of things to glean from the movie, I'm like, well, that's that's interesting. That's a cool and it, thing. It, it might be one of the last things in the film that is historically accurate. I mean, not that I don't want I don't want to get caught up in the historical. It's, I mean, it's the whole Braveheart thing. I mean, how much are you gonna separate? The work from the truth, right? Exactly, exactly. And and that's I think this is actually a great point for us to like to say right now that like I, I don't have I don't when I went to go do the research on the movie, everything was about like, you know, in the movie it was this, but in real life I'm like, I don't I don't care. Like to me, yeah. that that's not what's important. That's also not why I don't like the movie. So I want to put that out there too. I don't I don't hate this movie because it's historically inaccurate. Well, I, I think it's really important. I think the French journalists, the way that they especially went out the film, it, I mean, it is kind of important because my, I mean, I'll, I'll talk some, because obviously it's my, it's my number six. It's not the bottom of the list for me. So obviously I did find some positives in it and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But the thing that really, really fucked me off, especially about the last 20, maybe 15 minutes of this movie is the way that she is portrayed as a victim. And that is just flat out fucking wrong because she may not be the sole reason for the French Revolution, but she fucking may as well be. Marie Antoinette drove that country into absolute debt and the way that she manipulated the way that she manipulated the government, she may have changed certain things. She, yes, of course, was a fashion icon and she changed a lot of things about the French court, but that's all very inconsequential, inconsequential when you consider the amount of debt that she racked up. And there's no... I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what I was thinking about. Here's the comparison that I made. American Gangster. Okay. The Ridley Scott movie. Yeah. Right? It always comes... It fucking always comes back to Ridley Scott because ah, it you just... son it, of a bitch. Because, son because of a bitch. It, because it just does. You're, you're, anybody listening and you, you're just going to have to deal with it. American Gangster has this phenomenal sequence a little more than halfway through the movie where Frank Lucas, the Denzel character, has made like all the money he's going to make. He is at peak drug dealer status. He's taking care of his family, huge homes, all his, the members of his family have work. They're sitting down to Thanksgiving dinner and it's like just opulent and beautiful. It's the biggest turkey you've ever seen in your fucking life. And it's cross-cut with the way that his heroine is destroying lives because it's so pure that people are just ODing left and right and there's that fucking terrible scene where somebody's injecting it in between their toes and then there's like a woman dead on a bed with a screaming baby and it's just like you need to, if you're gonna approach a character like this, it can't just be a parade of opulence. You need to show the place in history and show the devastation that she caused. And it's I the final shot really pisses me off because it shows her bedchamber completely trashed as yeah. if a wrong was done to her. And it doesn't even bother to go on to hers and Louis' executions. Yeah. Which, which I, I think is a little bit irresponsible. 
Well, but it's also yeah, it, it, yes, and and like, and what story are we trying to tell? And and I, you know, yes, the posing her as a victim and then leaving the fact that that she was it. I mean, here's the thing, and and like, obviously, we don't in the you know in 21st century america we don't just drag people out in the streets and execute them now now socially and politically uh, other shit happens but what i mean is like that that doesn't happen right a public execution of chopping off somebody's head that doesn't happen anymore and when it happened back in the day there seemed to be a reason for it now whether or not again times were different again i'm not saying that that's the way to handle your business but the people of france decided this these people suck and we need to fucking chop their heads off and like and and it's been probably since 2006 2007 since i've seen this movie and i didn't remember exactly how it ended no postscript no nothing just the movie's over and and you're you're right i mean that adds to the frustration of the movie but it's also it's it's everything that builds up to it like I, part of me wants to feel so bad for her at the beginning when she's, you know, she's obviously new to France. They're talking about her, like the way that it's a public spectacle of, of getting, trying to get ready for the day and, and like the, just like the whole tediousness of her life. And I, that's actually, that's one thing I will say about most of Coppola's movies is she, what's the right word? She's, she languishes, she lingers. There's not, not a lot happens in any of her movies like and that's i'm not that's not a criticism that's just like an i think an active comment like like if you're looking for like plot like you know a father avenged you know wanting to avenge his daughter's death goes into the den of a criminal you know like there's there's not a lot of like this happened so i have to do this like it's just here's a, a chunk of life in these a chunk of time in these people's lives and the the chunks of times that she decides to show for for Marie Antoinette don't seem to make a lot of sense to me. It, the no, this is the, I know you you went on an American Gangster tangent. This is weird. I got Southland Tales vibes in the sense of this was her fucking swinging for it. Yeah, but yeah. for me, this was a strikeout. This was a strikeout of a movie. Well, to, to use the pun, I mean, this is a movie that wants to have its cake and, and eat it too, yeah. right? I mean, yes. it, it wants to show you, it wants to show you all of this opulence, but it also wants you to feel bad for a historical figure that really you have no business feeling bad about. Now, now I have to ask this question. The addition of the modern pop music. I would have appreciated now again I was thinking you know another strange comparison I was thinking Great Gatsby the the newer the DiCaprio mm -hmm. one right Yeah and for me it works there I And agree. the reason it works for me is because their music the music of the 20s and the 30s would sound modern to their ears but it doesn't sound modern to our ears now 90 or 100 years later the problem with Marie Antoinette is it doesn't go far enough, I think. If you're going to do the punk rock vibe and you're going to have that big, poppy, new age, new wave soundtrack, then just do it all. Do the whole thing. But we have a balance between period music and 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 music that is, is modern to us. And I think either do one or the other, I think, is really my problem with it. I, th I, think, I think this whole sort of punk rock, anach anachronistic period piece has been done so much better since like uh, the favorite 
kept yeah. springing to my mind is like the favorite is like this weird anachronistic but also very much of the period type of movie and it like it has like guts like it has the the boldness to just fucking swing for it whereas Marie Antoinette kind of plays it safe a little bit and then I mentioned to you in a text earlier this week that I watched the true history of the Kelly gang about the Ned Kelly the Australian bush ranger and that really has that punk rock vibe as well to the point where the director of that Justin Kurtzel made the lead actor Justin Mackay from 1917 he's like you might be playing a character from the 1870s, but you're actually playing like a punk rock singer. So two weeks from now, before we start shooting the movie, you need to write a punk rock album, get a band together and go perform. And he fucking did it. Yeah. I'm not saying that obviously Kirsten Dunst had to do that, but what I'm saying is that I don't think it went far enough in trying to have that punk rock attitude. Now I'll tell you one thing I did really like in the montage where she's becoming accustomed to her life and all the the opulence of it. There is a shot of those blue Converse. Are you like talking the about sh- that, that I want candy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which is again not a good montage, but there's a shot of like a pair of modern blue Converse in there, which I think is a really cool little Easter egg kind of detail. I. So so I you know. I, I think where my mind goes with something like this is I know you know this, but so I was in a in grad school. I was in a production of um, Dangerous Liaisons, and um, we wanted our director wanted to do some kind of modern things in it without without being disingenuous to like 17th century France, right? So part of what we did was we we opened the show. We had, we opened Act One and Act Two with uh, the servant characters who who could sing very well singing in French, but what they were singing were modern pop songs. I wish I could remember what they were, but they were song, They were kind of romantic songs that kind of tied into the movie, but they were sung in French, and and unless you really knew the melody, you didn't know what they were singing. It just sounded like they were singing in French, and I thought that was a really cool way to sort of like try to modernize it, but still sticking true to your source material or, or you know the story you're trying to tell. And for me, the music is just so... Like, I get, like, I'm not an idiot. I get why I Want Candy is sort of played over the montage, but it also it's like, what am I, what am I watching? I, and that's the thing. I could not make heads or tails of this movie. Like, I thought the comedy was too broad. I, I, you know, I get, I get why you cast a Jason Schwartzman, but I also thought that he didn't do, he did, he was one note the entire time. I thought the drama was too, I thought the stakes were way too low. I mean, we're talking about the French Revolution at the end of this, and also, but I'm also like, I don't give a shit. I didn't care at the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I will say, I mean, speaking about the comedy, I mean, I laughed a lot during the first half of this movie. Oh, like I was honest, honestly, I, I like I tried, I, I tried to set aside a lot of the negativity, a lot of the the negative reviews behind this film, and try and really like open myself to it and go with it and be on the journey with Kirsten Dunst. And yeah, I laughed a lot about the the, the ridiculousness of of uh, of of form and and of uh, routine and and all of this you know we have to you know these are the rules of the courts and you have to you can't bring anything Austrian with you and the the getting dressed in the morning how like the most senior ranking lady in the family uh, the blood princess or whatever the hell they called it had to he she has to be the one that dress you and of course they're it's her first day so they're I kind of got the vibe that they're fucking with her a little bit like and honestly Judy Davis 
if we were doing Unsung Heroes, fucking heart and soul of this movie. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I don't think anybody is necessarily bad in the movie. Oh, but and when, uh, when Danny Houston shows up, what a breath of fresh air. Yeah, I mean, he probably should have somehow been in it more. I, I don't know how you, you do it. It's not his story, but I don't, right. I don't know. And, like, the whole, you know, introducing the, the um, you know, the whatever, the affair that she's having with, like, Jamie Dornan, you know. Like, I get it, but then again, I feel like it's, it's sprinkled in, and then it's, it's like... And I and I can't tell. Like, part of me wonders: is it is it introduced because it happens? But like, this feels like Coppola kind of cherry picking history, right? That like we get yeah. glimpses, like we get the romantic side of it, but not the fact that okay. I mean, if we're thinking about this woman as a character in the movie, like okay, so she's 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 cheating on her husband, with whom you know she's gonna have a, she's gonna have a family with and stuff. But ultimately, it's like that's not significant to her character because we don't want it to be right. Yeah, no, I, no, I totally get that. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, I, I wanted it, I wanted it to be a movie of two halves, where the first half I think is like this journey of self-discovery, of being a fish out of water, forced into this life that she didn't necessarily want, and then the second half being, you know, the villainess of history that she actually is, and leaning into the sort of opulence, but there's no dramatic balance to this opulence. So the, the phrase that I, I sort of, the sort of critical phrase that I came up with at the end of this film is that a parade of opulence just turns into a parade of mediocrity at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you I know, know, I, par- par- part of the things that we didn't discuss really quick, just, um, so yeah, it did, it did win the co- best costume design at the Oscars um, at the BAFTA it was nominated for uh, production design, costume design, hair and makeup. Um, it won. It won the cinema prize of the French educational system and the Palm Dog at Cannes. There you go for mops. Uh, it, it it lost the Palm Door. Um, so and 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 as we go through the movies, we'll talk about this. A lot of her movies between uh, critical and audience are are really different. Uh, this one is the closest and uh both not great it's got a 57 percent critical and a 56 percent audience so generally speaking not a well-loved movie and i for one uh agree with that i i'm okay with those numbers because i i genuinely think i really like half of this movie and and how do, do we kirsten dunst how do you feel about it do you like i kind of i like kirsten dunst in this movie uh, here's what I'll say. I think of the uh, the other films that she's done with uh, Sofia Coppola. This is my least favorite performance of hers. That's fair. Yeah, that, it, it probably is the weakest, that, but I, I still like her. I still like I, her in it. I, 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 it's hard. This is this this is a tough boat. Where like, do I? I'm trying to. I want to be able to critically, or you know, yeah, critically evaluate the performance and like talk about Kirsten Dunst, but I don't know. I, I really don't know. I don't, I think the character is not well-written and the story that the character is trying to, the, 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 the story that the character is, is being put into in this film doesn't, it, you know, it's not like I hate so much that I love it kind of thing. I, I felt, I felt very meh about it. If I'm being honest. 
Yeah, I mean, there's, there's again, not to try and lean too much on the historical aspects that they left out, but it really could have been the opportunity for us to see a very different side of Kirsten Dunst, to see a very manipulative side of her that we wouldn't get to see until she worked with Lars von Trier on Melancholia. And thank God she did that movie, because, I mean, she is... That is in absolutely breathtaking work that still, she did in that film. I still haven't seen that, but I've heard, uh, I've heard should, good things about it. it it's, I, that's, I, that's the only adjective I can think of right now is breathtaking. Nope. Um, but it, it would have been nice to see her get to play this more manipulative side of Marie Antoinette, the one that manipulated the French government, the one that was trading secrets during wartime to France's enemies to benefit her own family outside of the French royal family. It's a, it's a real shame that... I, I, I really do think that the, the script let Kirsten Dunst down. Yeah. It, it didn't I, I, allow I would... her the chance to blossom in that regard. I would definitely agree with that. There we go. Are we are we good? Do we want to move good. on from Marie Antoinette? Yeah, let's let's move on to uh, to On the Rocks. Fucking Steve Coogan, though. Before we before oh, we sure. move on, yeah, 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 yeah. Again, Fucking. it, it it's got kind of a big support. Well, okay, I was like, it, you know, I was like everybody in it, like, but it's like it's the inclusion of like. And not, and Steve Coogan is great in it, but it's hard to like you know you see his name, you see Molly Shannon. It's like what, like honestly, I go, what fucking movie is this? What what yeah. are you trying to do? But thank God at least she didn't make anybody do an accent. I I love that that barrier is sort of put. Everybody just speak how you would speak, and we'll just roll with it. Yeah, yeah, which it works, but it's S- also smart good. choice. Like yeah. maybe the smartest choice they made. <laughs> But I'm not trying to make a backhanded compliment, but I mean it is what it is. Yeah. All right. So yeah. So so uh, on the rocks. On the rocks. We got it. At, we 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 got it here. Uh, maybe maybe I'm the one that needs to justify why it's my seven instead yeah. of my six. Sure. Uh, it just it just doesn't feel like a, a Sofia Coppola movie. Was was my major problem with it? I just I felt like. Not necessarily that she was retreading the same paths that she had done in the previous six films, though I, I see how you could make that argument. It's just that there's, there isn't, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, help me out with this, because you've seen it twice and I've only seen it the once just a week ago. Maybe I haven't allowed it enough time to settle, but there wasn't even a single shot in it that struck me as a Sofia Coppola shot. I mean... You know, other than the fact that Bill Murray is in this movie, I I, I, get, I hear you. I I hear you. I mean, I it's well, it's not that it doesn't feel like a like a Sofia Coppola movie to me. I just feel like everybody. I feel like if if we talk about the you know, let's talk about the three people who are the most involved, right? So we've got Sofia Coppola obviously writes and directs it. Uh, Bill Murray and Rashida Jones, right? These are the three big people involved. I think everybody in it. I think those three people are so not not giving I don't know if it's that they're not giving their all or if it's just that they weren't utilized entirely well cuz I think I think Rashida Jones is one of the Rashida Jones falls into that like Maya Rudolph category of like um actresses who need to be in more things cuz I think they're I think they're very talented. Um, oh, seeing her as a lead was fantastic. That alone makes it worth seeing. I'll, yeah, I will say that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and like and I, but, but like I don't know it's 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 a the the plot of this movie is really this sort of like 
her thinking that her husband might be having an affair and her father, who is a bit of an adulterer himself, Bill Murray, um, is sort of coming in to sort of play spy with his daughter. Like, I, there's there's kind of a fun, rompy, caper aspect to it that, that could be there. But I just feel like, I mean, we have a whole, and I'm gonna, this is not the only time I'll say this, but like, you know, we get a, we get a scene where Bill Murray is doing karaoke in, in Mexico, I think is where they are, right? Yeah, yeah. And like, but like, do we really, I mean, yes, he's charming in his Bill Murray way, but I just, and it's not that that scene is irrelevant or unimportant, but I just, a lot of this movie I was going, who's like, I just, general kind of confusion through the movie. Yeah, well, there is the positive that I will say as I'm sort of working through the movie, talking to you about it. What I do appreciate is the sort of dramatic weight of Bill Murray's character. He's he's a guy that can't see past his own adultery and the own his own guilt within his life and what he has done to his family, and so he is projecting that onto his daughter and his son-in-law in a very negative way that could potentially destroy her family. You know, he loves her so much he can't he can't see the he can't see the the the, the trees for the wood or the wood for the trees or whatever that phrase is that I can never get right. Yeah. Um, the forest for the trees. The forest for the trees. Thank you. Um, <laughs> that's so embarrassing that I can't get that phrase right. I've done it like six times on this show. This is awful. Um. I have been drinking. It's not my fault. All good. Um, I'm still drinking. Good. Good for you. I'm drinking Gatorade. Well, that's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, there there is some there is some real dramatic weight to these characters. It's just again, I'd like it, it feels like this is it's not beneath her. It's not beneath Sofia Coppola to make a movie like this. But it really smacks of well, anybody could have done this one. So this, there's there's and- nothing overtly unique about it this may fly in the face of a movie that we we haven't talked about yet that we will get to later but this movie also falls into this trap of movies where like in any other you know clearly her rashida jones and marlon wayans are they're doing well well off they've got a nice new york loft She's got time where she can write and he's doing some like startup thing like and they they seem to be doing really well. Right. But and I would say actually both financially and as a couple until, you know, these seeds of doubt start to kind of are planted in her mind. But like. I I, ha- I mean, I have to imagine like if mo- most couples are in this boat, like the 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 oh i'm just going to fl- casually fly to mexico to see if my husband is having an affair like people don't just get to do that like oh i'm just going to who have kids and a life and stuff i just like and i it, but like so so part of this goes like i feel like this is kind of ridiculous it is a comedy but yet the stakes it's not play like okay how do i say this i think the movie is a comedy but that it's not really played as a comedy and like, and I do think that st- the stakes are real, of course, especially for Rashida Jones, who I think is playing it very earnestly. But the movie itself, again, kind of like Marie Antoinette, doesn't know what kind of movie it wants to be. And and I will say that of of the seven movies, these are the two that I I, I have no, I will never watch either of these two movies again. I just I I know that in in the in the from the depths of my soul. And this one too, because it's like if I want to watch. If I want to watch Rashida Jones do something, 
you know, I'll go, I'll go fuck back. I'll watch Parks and Rec again, right? If I want to see Bill Murray be charming Bill Murray, give me a Wes Anderson film, right? Or, or even Lost in Translation, right? I just, the talents of the people involved are not on display in this movie, except for maybe Marlon Wayans. It was great to see him play more of a straight guy in this. Yeah, no, I, I thought Marlon Wayans was really great. And to, to speak to Rashida Jones, yeah, I, as I mentioned, it is really nice to see her in a leading role, but this is, nobody is doing anything you haven't seen them do before, as 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 you mentioned. The, 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 the best of their talent is not on display. And the fact, Rashida Jones, yeah, again, I was, I was thinking that. I've seen her do this character, this sort of doubting, smart-ass, sensitive character in Parks and Rec. She did that for seven seasons, so... Yeah. Or even in the office, in the short run that she was on that, she even played a quite similar character in that. I mean, it's just, it's overall, I mean, I didn't I didn't hate watching the movie. It's just, when I got to the end of it, I just, I, I want to be more passionate about it. It's such a, the thing, the thing that really bugs me about it, and the reason why I think Marie Antoinette ranks a little bit higher is that I can at least find things to, like, like I said, I like the first half of it. There's some, there's still some great, visuals that I can glean from it. There's some things that I can actually really hate about it. Whereas on the rocks, there's nothing I hate and nothing I love. And there's nothing that strikes me as, as I mentioned, there's nothing about this film that screams Sofia Coppola to me. So I know this is a newer movie and I, I don't want to, uh, you know, spoil anything, but you know, I think we're going to, so you know, maybe fast forward 30 seconds from this point on, but, uh, so what do you think of the ending? Like that the fact that th- that nothing was going on. I don't feel like well well one, I don't feel like her blow up at her dad is big enough. I feel like she could have gone bigger and should have gone bigger and I feel like it's real shitty that his character just kind of blows it off. I mean it, it in a sense it kind of makes sense for the character but I, I really wanted to feel more of his recognition for what he had done, and he clearly doesn't have any because he just shows up at the end of the movie and everything's okay. Yeah. Which I think is I, I think is the most distressing part of this film. Well, and there's, there's you know, again, in, the, in these movies, you know, father-daughter or, or father-daughter-esque relationships. Um, and, and I get this, you know, that Rashida Jones... you know the character you know that she's trying to be bigger than the situation right to be better than her father and i i I get that that's there but i but i also agree i mean i think in the moment you know i don't like without his guidance without his kind of nudging her she doesn't fly to mexico do you know what i mean like no no. that doesn't happen and 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 i get and this gives us something to talk about but you know the the reason that this ranks. I mean, the reason this ranks higher than Maria Twenty for me is that I I just I I vilely I hate that movie. Um, but yeah, this this was just this yeah this was just it was meh to let down. That's where it yeah, falls for me. Yeah. I mean, Bar- as we mentioned, Marlon Wayans, he's great. I think he might be the best thing in it. I really like their scene together at the end when he confronts her. I think that's a really good bit of writing. I don't think it's I don't think it's overplayed. I think. The, the emotion, the emotional beats in it ring true to me. I really did appreciate that. And then outside of that, the best scene is probably the scene where they get pulled over, and we have like the most Bill Murray moment in that, the movie, that where was his character, funny. where his character, like, oh, are you Tommy O'Flanagan's kid or whatever yeah. the, the guy's last name is? Oh yeah, Tom's my dad. And then they like he 
he talks his way out of having that ticket and the Rashida Jones, oh, it's so nice to be you kind of thing, which I think was in all the trailers anyway. And so. I do, and I do, and that, and again, another reason why this ranks higher is because like it did, I did laugh at times. Like I, there were moments where I was in it, and actually, I can't say that I was out of it. I just, at the end of the day. It's just, you know, it's, you know, it's just a meh movie that yeah. that came and went and it is what it is. Yeah. And then again, unless you already have an Apple TV plus subscription, I wouldn't go out of my way to, to sort of recommend it to anybody. I would almost, again, I don't want to be sort of hateful and spiteful about the <laughs> about watching the movie. But I mean, if you <laughs> saw the trailer, you you saw a lot of it. Yeah. This is you definitely, saw a lot of the you good could, stuff. You could in just there. read the wiki page on it and you'd get it, and which is yeah, sad. No, but you would totally yeah. get the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a bummer. It's a bummer because there is a lot of great talent on display. And again, you know, there there was there was the potential. I mean, you know, Bill Murray was up for a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor. I think there was some uh, some hype around him, but that that didn't come to fruition. He also was nominated for Best uh, Supporting Actor by the Seattle Film Critics, which I thought was... I, I did see that. Interesting. Of but, course, but lost again, to, to Daniel Kaluuya, as yes. as is correct, I think. But also, in this, and again, this is just, this will be the start of a lot of these movies for her. The, discre- the, the discrepancy between critical and audience scores on Rotten Tomato. 86 critical, 51 audience, which... That- 86 is maybe a little low. Oh, sorry, oh, sorry. 86 is is a little high. That that number blows my mind. That that that's high. But I, I, th- I think the, I, I think the audience is a little harsh. I do too. Because I think I think for people for people that aren't nerdy, crazy cinephiles like us that are willing to do this deep dive, I think for your casual movie watcher, there's probably a little bit more to appreciate. I feel like this is a mid to high 60s. I could get behind that. Yeah. Uh, cool. So there we go. So hey, we've got some 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 uh, similarities there at the bottom too. But now we're moving on to Ian's number five. My number five, the Bling Ring. All right. My number five is the Beguiled. Oh, okay. All right. That's a little higher for me. We'll keep, we'll keep on trucking. All right. Uh, my number four. Would be the Virgin Suicides. Oh boy! Oh, oh boy. boy! Is this where it gets contentious? Uh, yeah. Is this the moment where we start pulling okay. on the boxing gloves? Right. My, my my number four is Lost in Translation. Holy shit! Okay, we're gonna have to keep going. Uh, what's that bring us to? Your Are we already up three. We're already at my number three. Yeah. My number three is The Beguiled. Which was your number five, yep. Uh, yes, yes. All right, The Beguiled. Now, you said you didn't have time to watch the 1971 Don Siegel, Clint Eastwood, right? That is correct, because because last night I went to go see A Quiet Place Part Two in a big IMAX theater. How was it? It was fine. It was fine? It was fine. Yeah. I, Probably I, a sequel if, that if you, didn't if, need to be made. If you like, I, no. I, because I think, I, well, I don't want to get I, this is this is a, this is tangent. I don't didn't need. Di, it's not that it didn't need to be made. It's just a lot of what we got the first time, but still got good. It. Still good with with Killian Murphy. Yeah, being being Killian Murphy, which yeah. is exactly why Liz wants to see it because I'm almost certain if Killian Murphy walked into this apartment, I mean, I would just there'd be no need for me anymore. Ah, well, sorry about that. I could pack my bags and get the fuck out. <laughs> but no, I did not. I did not watch the uh, the 
Clint Eastwood beguiled. Yeah, it's uh, you're not going to like it. I'll just flat out come out and say that you're really you're you you will really not like the Clint Eastwood one, and th- and that's totally okay. I mean, it's a really dark, fucking nasty little piece of '70s filmmaking. I mean, I there there are things about it I like. We'll we'll uh, we'll get into it with both of them. There are things about it I like and things about it I don't like. Um, Clint Eastwood kissing a twelve year old girl at the beginning of the movie is uh, is not good. That's not good. Uh, yeah, I would say not. I would say not. Especially, uh, you know, he's he's doing it to distract her from the, the soldiers that are hunting him in the woods. And he asks her how old she is. She says 12, and he says old enough for kisses. Oh. Oh, it's, yeah, it's not good. It's really, really... Anyway, th- we're, not talk- we're not here to talk about the Clint Eastwood version. I, I would recommend you seeing it, but just, you're not going to like it. I, I, I won't watch it. I, I, on the other hand, I really like... Sophia Coppola's version. Sure. I mean, I, I really, th- it's such a dark little gothic atmospheric. The, the movie's kind of a big fuck you. And you know, I like that. The movie's got, it's got attitude. You know what I mean? I mean, it's a really different kind of performance for Kirsten Dunst. It's a really kind of different performance for Elle Fanning. Uh, Kirsten Dunst is the unsung hero of that movie. Oh, 100%. She is, she is great. Uh, so, and, yeah, so maybe just really quickly, uh, The Beguiled, is, it's about um, uh, this, there's this, it's, it's during the Civil War, and um, Colin Farrell is a Union soldier in Virginia and gets taken in for, it's like a boarding school for women, and um, there's like, uh, Nicole Kidman runs it, and um, Kirsten Dunst is sort of like a, like a, a head teacher there, and then the, it's like five girls, and they range from like probably, what, 10, 11, up to like 16, 17, and, um, and it's sort of, you know, what happens when this, what happens when this attractive um, adversary is brought into the midst. And, and, I, and I throw in attractive because obviously it becomes this sort of who is going to get Colin Farrell's attention in the movie. I'm not saying that's what the plot is, but there's clearly an Elle Fanning, Kirsten Dunst, Nicole Kidman, like what's going on between their, their feelings for Colin Farrell. So. Absolutely. And of course, he's he's aware of all of this and he is really the architect of it. I mean, it's... I do, as, a, as a male... I, I don't want to sound misogynist here, and I, I'm sure whoever's listening will. Some people could skew it that way, but what I'm not trying to be is my intention. As a as a as an actor, as a male performer, I think this is such a great role to be dropped into. This sort of playground that you're allowed to be in, where you you are surrounded. And Colin Farrell even went as far as to say it himself when I was doing the research about this movie. He says it's the best shoot that he's ever been on. Like oh yes. He, Sofia Coppola just allowed him absolute free range on this film, and he was dropped into the midst of those three names. You've also got uh, Angory Rice, who some people will know from uh, The Nice Guys. She's also in it, too. She's a great actress. I can't wait to see where her career goes. Uh, But to get dropped into all these talented, beautiful, intelligent women and to get to play off of them and to get to be the manipulator, it just sounds like, so and again, this is going to sound really fucked up and misogynist, but you know, being in the world of being an artist and a performer, being allowed to play in that particular sandbox when you're surrounded by that kind of talent, it must be a dream role, right? I, I mean, looking at his career, I think he's had I think he's had better roles, but I hear what you're saying. Yes, you, uh, you know, to be able to to play a character that gets to go through so much. 
He gets to play injured. He gets to be charming. He gets to be angry. You know, like, he does. That's his... probably what I should have let off with is his arc. He gets to have a full range of emotions. His arc is spectacular. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I agree with that. And I think Colin Farrell leans it. This might be... This might be top three Colin Farrell performances for me. Oh, that's that is just wild. I I really I I really like him in this. I think he was in a better movie the same year that this came out. Well, there's yes, you have obviously him and uh, and Nicole Kidman had collaborated just a few weeks before shooting uh, Killing of the Sacred Deer. Now, will you allow me to go on a tangent for a second? Because um, absolutely. So this is this is related to what we're talking about, but it is so. Um, Recently, as a as a professor, as a teacher of theater, as a teacher of young actors, um, this I, the idea of of um, our industry. Now, I'm talking specifically about theater, but also just being an actor, and this idea of of fat shaming, and that I do think that that's actually a real pervasive issue in our industry. That I don't know if it'll ever completely be solved. So, in doing the research for this movie, Colin Farrell was uh, a, a bit conscious about the fact that he'd be shirtless for some of these scenes and that he had he put on weight for the killing of a sacred deer and then had to do a scene do well do a shoot where he's playing the handsome charming stranger and and is, is having to show his um his stomach and stuff i hate that shit so much i just this is my tangent to say like i fucking like colin farrell like if you look at his face if you look at his 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 face alone he's an attractive man right he is and in the killing of a sacred, i wouldn't say no in the killing of a sacred deer it's not even like he's like i don't like i don't know how like he's not, it's not like he's overweight right sure is he a bit bigger okay maybe but like i i hate hearing this shit and it's stars it's it's great actors like him continuing to perpetuate this idea that you have to be in shape to be an actor I fuck it. That's not that's not why it's ranked five. This is just me taking a moment to be like, how in shape you are has nothing to do with how talented an actor you are. Well, you can't have this conversation without also mentioning that Sophia Coppola wanted Kirsten Dunst to lose weight for yes. the role, and she stood her ground. And I thank fuck she did. I don't think there's there's nothing wrong with the way Kirsten Dunst looks in this movie. I mean, she's absolutely stunningly beautiful, and the fact that she has to play this sort of one of the older woman, older women in the film, but she is also probably one of the more innocent of them as well. I, I, it, it, it works. I think she is absolutely beautiful in this film for so many different reasons, and that's just not from a, again, not Sam misogynist. It's not just a, a from a from a from a looks perspective. I, she plays a really beautiful character. Yeah, yeah, um, and and does it fantastically. And and also just kind of adding to the the beautifulness of the film i mean it looks stunning the the cinematography is it's fucking amazing and this uh let me i just want to double check this here so i don't i'm not talking out of my ass yeah so um you know previously she worked with harris avitas on the bling ring and he he passed away so this was her first interaction with philip uh lasord as as a as a dp and then she would work with him again on on the rocks but holy shit like yeah the the cinematography, the the way this is shot, shooting, I think, were they in South Carolina, I think, is where they shot this? Uh, New Orleans, actually, oh, the fuck. interiors. The interiors were in Jennifer Coolidge's house, oh, which I, I found that. to be kind yeah, of... That's yeah, true. that's kind of funny. Um, but just, like, the way that it looks... I mean, the opening, the that sort of just her... The, the, the little girl going through the woods and the, 
the fog rolling through and the 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 like um the arch of trees that she's walking under like it's it's a gore it's gorgeous and like there was some definite i got some definite like Barry Lyndon we're going to film in candlelight kind of we're going to keep this really naturalistic and 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 uh and as real as possible like i i got all those vibes from this movie yeah yeah and there's some details that i think are lost because it, a lot of it does really feel like it's lit by candlelight there's nothing wrong with that i mean it feels closer they even shot in in 1.66 to 1 that that smaller aspect ratio to give it a claustrophobic feel which i think is genius while you are praising philip lasord you also want to know what he photographed what's that a good year well i i I think he picked better projects it sounds like he 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 had a better taste for for film after probably what was a he probably looked at a good year and went wow i should pick better shit to work on oh my god here we go should, always should I, comes back to Ridley. Should I should I should I look up? Should I just recheck in with the uh, the Rotten Tomato score on? No, Whittier? that's okay. You can you can leave it. You can leave it right where it is. Okay, let's just leave it where it is. Okay. The 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 people the people can go out and find that information for themselves if they so desire. That's 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 true. <laughs> let's that's true. let's keep it let's keep it with Sofia Coppola and how great the begot. I'm so honestly I'm twenty five percent. Okay, that's all right. Um. I don't know. I'm kind of I'm in two minds about your placement of it at number five. Like, so what? What about it keeps it so low so for you? I, I, so as a remi- and not to say that not to say that five is low, but when you've only got seven films. Yeah. So as a reminder, this this is this is five, and and Lost in Translation is four, and I had I had a battle going on here, but between these two, and I I think ultimately. At the end of the day, I wonder, wh- um, what's the what's the message or the importance of this movie? And 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 what I mean to say though is that at the, you kind of come to the end of it, and the idea of this of a movie about a bunch of women fighting over a guy is ultimately what's at the core of this, and and I love that they. I, I do enjoy kind of the way that everything kind of unravels and the way that they, they poison him with the mushrooms and stuff. But as beautiful as it is, and as great as I personally I think as like Kirsten Dunst is, it it didn't it didn't wow me in terms of the story. I thought most okay. I thought the performances were 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 good to great, right? I don't think anybody in the movie was bad. I think you got a gr- a great little crop of of younger actresses in the film. Elle Fanning is good. She's, I mean, she's kind of one note, but I get what she's doing. Nicole Kidman is kind of the same way. Kirsten Dunst, I think, shines. She's a beacon of light in the movie, uh, both as a character and as an actress. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I just, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. I wanted something more, and and that's very vague and kind of a, a like a cop out answer. But it seemed real. It seemed too easy a film. Guy comes in. Uh, his smoldering good looks, you know, upsets the ecosystem of this house, and now shit goes wrong. And I, I don't know. It seems cheap. It seems a bit too. Women are too easily beguiled by an attractive man, and I just, I don't know. I didn't. I, I don't know. I, I have, I kind of have issues with that, and then, and and just not enough. 
I don't know. I don't know. And that's and it's tough because I have I do have issues with with Lost in Translation as well. But at the end of the day, and I think and ultimately between four and five, and this is I know there's just one placement, but like I would I would just know I I would I would turn on Lost Trans Lost in Translation again before I turn on the Beguiled. Sure. I mean I understand your your argument of wanting more, but I think there's I think there's a lot of great subtext in this movie. The idea that we're three years into the Civil War, men and women en masse have been separated from each other, so there's all this sexual tension when you introduce one into the midst of the others, and there's you've got these young girls, some of them who are blossoming on the verge of womanhood. I, I understand how you say that Elle Fanning's character is, is a little bit one-note, but I that's... That's I don't know, man. It's 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 hard. I think I think both her and and uh, and and Nicole Kidman may be a little bit underwritten, which I think might be the thing that you appreciate if you are to appreciate anything in the Don Siegel version. That might be the thing you appreciate more about that version. It is fifteen minutes longer. Uh, there is backstory, a little bit of back, more backstory with both of those characters, more so with the, the Nicole Kidman character. There's this whole thing where they hint at her brother going off to the Civil War, and there's like this whole incestuous sort of flashback backstory between her and her brother, which is pretty interesting. Obviously, the big controversy, the elephant in the room, is Sofia Coppola cut the only black character that was in the novel and that was in the, the, the Don Siegel movies stating that she didn't a lot of, I think what she said exactly was there were a lot of young girls that watch her film and she didn't want to portray slavery and, and African Americans in that light, which kind of, I, I get it and I don't, it kind of feels like a cop out. Is, is it whitewashing? I don't, I don't know, but I mean, it is a big thing to handle in a story that isn't necessarily about that. But I mean, the, that, you have to consider that that is what the Civil War was about, but, but and this, so to to I, cut it completely. It this, this this is this is the like a textbook definition of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because if she right, does, right. and it's the and the only black character in the film is a slave, is a maid, then you'd get people going like, well, what's this? Why are you doing that? There's no there is no right way for her to do it. I think she made a choice and and that's what she did. And I think and it and but her having a justification for it means that at least she thought about it. Yeah, I know. I I'm really torn about it because I think I think the Don Siegel version does do it really well. The 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 actress in that plays a really great part. She like actually stands up to a lot of the girls at the school like she she has a place and a position and she has an attitude of like well you know we're in the civil war and it doesn't really matter what what else can you do to me yeah. I, she is a really really strong character and she stands she stands her ground against Clint Eastwood in a couple of scenes which I, I think are really fantastic so I, I think it's kind of a shame that she didn't build that in but yeah I, again I'm I'm in such two minds about her decision yeah that's well. Speak to, speaking of two minds, I just want. I'd love to bring up the uh, the Rotten Tomato scores again because again, yeah, huge discrepancy: seventy nine percent critical, forty eight percent audience. Ah, oh, that forty eight percent kills me. I really do like the. Obviously, it's my number three. I really yeah. do like this movie quite a bit. I I, I, get, I, I think seventy nine is high. I do think forty eight is low. I, 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 yeah. That that's that's low. I mean, if I thought that. Um, on the rock should be in like the mid to mid to high sixties. And this should probably be closer to like that seventies range. 
Right, right. Which I, I mean, know, which a, I know the audience has. That's maybe like a low seventies for me. I would, yeah. I would say. I, I'm, I'm wondering why it was dismissed so easily. I mean, it's such a, it's such a shame. I think there is a lot to be valued in this film. Well, uh, from the, the cinematography thing, to the performances and such. Here's the thing, though. I think, I think if you are your your average moviegoer, right, you recognize a lot of the names in this movie, and then you get this thing, this fairly slow paced, fairly plotless movie. Right. And again, and I'm saying that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to just be like a kind of devil's advocate. Right. I, you know, like, is the cinematography going to keep you in if 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 you're like the average person wanting something, you know, maybe I, maybe. And I'm just purely guessing you've got four very attractive people on the cover of this. And yet it's not it's not romantic. Maybe people's expectations were just built up differently. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm this is purely I can say that. But and our and our people. Are 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 people conv- still convinced, or or rather, still not convinced that Colin is Colin Farrell a leading a leading man? Is he a star in so many people's minds after the sort of early slump that he went through in the in the two thousands leading up to In Bruges? Is there still the stain of that? I so I don't think so. And actually, I think I think that's I think that's not true because I think I think you got people like us who saw the 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 change. His change in in um in projects from in Bruges on, you know, working on the working on like the lobster and killing of a sacred deer, but you've also got a, a group of people who like loves like oh he did SWAT and Daredevil like like Colin Farrell I actually ultimately has played his career really fucking well right I'm gonna do a bunch of big blockbuster popcorn shit, get people to recognize my name and. At, well, maybe he didn't do this, but like, but like now, and then I can work with Martin McDonough or Yorgos Lanthimos and like, be like, fuck it. Look, look what I'm doing now. And, and Sofia Coppola, like, like I can start to work with auteurs now that I've done my SWATs and my daredevils. Right. I think that this is maybe the point that I'm trying to get to is you and I, we recognize that. And as cinephiles tracking a full career, we appreciate that. But the flip side of that is, has he now doing these auteur projects alienated the people that loved the shit that he was doing, like the recruit and SWAT and Daredevil. I don't, but I still feel like he. I don't know because I like he did the Total Recall remake. Um, wasn't he in? Uh, what, what was the last Guy Ritchie movie? Wasn't he in that? He was in the Gentleman, which I, uh, God, the Gentleman he, was made like fifteen years too late. Wasn't he in one of the the Harry Potter spinoffs? Was he? Was he? Yeah, Fantastic? he's in. He's in Fantastic Beasts. Like, like he's again, in like, Dumbo. Yeah, yeah. I feel like. You know, he's, he's, you know, he's doing a bit of both. Yeah. No, I don't don't think so. Like I said, I recognize him for that swing and how much I appreciate that. I'm curious if the other side of the coin, if you, if you see any value to, to him alienating those fans with something like the lobster, I can see somebody going into the lobster thinking that they're getting a Colin Farrell movie and you're absolutely not. No, no, not at all. But I, I hear you. I hear you. Um, yeah. And then just really quick, I mean, you know, there was some stuff, but, you know, like it, it was up for the Palm d'Or, didn't win, but she won Best Director at Cannes for this. That's a big deal. I, and I think especially for a movie like this, I think that's a big deal. Yeah. First time in, what was it like? Uh, was it, no, it wasn't ever. Was it like 40 years or something? I thought it, I read. it was a long time. Yeah. It was uh, 1960 something. Yeah. So, yeah, probably even more. Yeah. Yeah. It was a while. <laughs> it so, was yeah, too long. I, I did not. I did not dislike this movie um i just i think i wanted i think it there was again kind of like 
it's so weird, but like with like the star, like I think there's more to that story. I, it just feels like there's more here. There's more. I, I wanted more. I think. No. Well, maybe if you find the time for the Seagull version, maybe we'll have to revisit it and do a compare and contrast and see if there you find more value in that one. Yeah. Um. So are we. Do you want to move on? Are we moving on to my three? I think we are moving on to your three. Okay. So my three is somewhere. Somewhere is a little bit higher for me. Okay. What is your two? My two is Lost in Translation. Okay. That That's high. <laughs> which actually, which uh, changed this morning, actually. Was it higher or lower? And my one and my two flipped. Uh, okay. All right. I see. I see what's going on here. <laughs> um. Okay. So, so Lost in Translation. Yeah. I, where, where do you want to start? Uh, yeah, Lost in Translation. It's uh, I I'm surprised to see it at number four for you, and I honestly, in my own mind, I'm surprised that I flipped it even as early as this morning. I mean, it's such a, it's such a landmark in the landscape of indie filmmaking. Really? Absolutely. Why do you, Why do you say that? Well, we mentioned it earlier, the, the Sofia Coppola writing, directing, and producing this thing. I mean, it's uh, it's also, I think you could argue it's one of the films that Focus Features, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a calling card for Focus Features and I, the, the, the level of quality that they pr- were producing in that era. I, I, I think that I, that's very true. Yep. It's a huge turning point uh, for Bill, even though Bill Murray, his entire career even going back as early as 1983 or four, when he made the razor's edge was trying to get to this kind of dramatic performance. And people kept shoehorning him into these comedic roles. Even when you think about stuff like groundhog day and Scrooge, where he wanted to explore much more dramatic territory, but they're like, no, we hired Bill Murray for that Bill Murray, funny guy. We hired Bill Murray for that, that, that charm that we talked about in On the Rocks. Yeah. You know, we don't want you to, to be this brooding, dark, dramatic guy. And he gets to do, honestly, I think he gets to do a little bit of both, maybe more leaning on the dramatic side with, with loss in translation. And of course, I think, I don't know that Scarlett Johansson has ever been better. I, I think she's a revelation in this film. I think she set the bar so high for herself with a performance like this. Yeah, it, it's actually it's funny. I think I think her career has gone quite in the in the opposite direction of Colin Farrell. I think she got to do a bunch of uh, indie stuff kind of early on, and now has become so so wedged into the the Marvel world. I mean, yeah, she got to do Marriage Story, of course, and like Under the Skin. But you know, I think well, those those are blips. Those are the exceptions I, rather than the rule. I think I think you know you've if we we you know we play the game. You know if. if if God, you know, God forbid, Scarlett Johansson dies tomorrow, it's going to be Scarlett Johansson or you know Black Widow uh, passed away. You're not going to hear about her Oscar nominee. I mean, you would, but like, it's not the first thing you read. You know, the first thing you right, read is right. Black Widow. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I, I, I think Bill Murray and uh, Scarlett Johansson are are great in the movie, and that the the movie is at its best when they are in scenes together. So, so talk to me about why it's number four. Talk to me about why it's not higher. Okay. So uh, a couple of things. Uh, first, I, I, I've been having this thought lately with movies that if a film needs to show me way too much where we are, 
it's that's it's we're in trouble. I think. What do you, what do you mean? Where we are? Like Tokyo? Yeah. Not, but not not Tokyo. Any movie, right? Like, and I I get. Like I think Tokyo is a great backdrop. These two, it literally, it's two fish out of water. They they're both there for different reasons. They they can't sleep. Like I I get that 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 Tokyo is the place where these two meet, and that 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 you know that they they find each other because of similarities. But then like ultimately they get to know each other more. That's all great. But like there was so much just Tokyo. Let's just look at shots of buildings and stuff like i just like i don't like it's like it's same thing with like pick up like new york like any movie that's in new york like establish that we're there and then let's let's do the movie but like 10 minutes of this movie is just scenic shots of tokyo like i i I, I think that's the point that's we is sophia coppola herself said this is a valentine to the city even though that kind of backfired on her and she was accused of, of racism and such, which we can get into in a minute. But Tokyo is the third is the third character in the movie. It is the third person in the love triangle, in but my I, mind. But I prefer I prefer the people of Tokyo. I prefer the interactions that they have with her her friends, the the I mean like the old guy in the waiting room at the hospital. Like like I, I, I like I like them interacting with the people of it, but just like like the whole, like I just, I, I think this this has pretentious movie ending with all of the different shots of him driving to the airport. I just didn't, I didn't want it. I didn't like it. Like he whispers to her, get in the car, fade to black. Like I don't need, I don't need five minutes of your future husband's music to be like. I just don't need that. I don't, I don't need that. It's it's pretentious filmmaking, and I wish it looked better. If you're gonna do it, I wish it looked better, and it didn't. It didn't look well enough for me to like live in it this is not going the way that i thought it was gonna go <laughs> man i don't know i can't well do you want to hear? do you want to wait sorry i have do you want to hear my do, do you want to hear the other thing that you probably won't like very much go on bill murray is not as good in this movie as people think that he is what what what, what are you talking about he's not he's not you've taken crazy pills no what's going on here i'm not did I'm you not. hit your head Nope. Are you okay? Nope. Do you have I'm, a fever? I'm are fine. you feeling okay? Yeah. I'm What's wonderful. happening here? What are you talking about? <laughs> Bill Murray is magnificent in this movie. Okay. Okay. Magnificent is a strong word. I'd like to know why you believe that Bill Murray is magnificent in this movie. Bill Murray gets to do more internalization in this than I think he's gotten to do in his entire career. And I, I feel it. I feel his, as the title says, it lost in translation, I feel his his drowning i feel him swimming in a world that he has become disenfranchised with i it, this is all, again it's all just feeling this is again just me projecting how i feel about the character like the scenes where he's on the phone with his wife the exacerbation that he has with with her and again i'm not saying that he's in the right see i mean he's clearly not being a good husband he's not being a good father he sure. cheats on his wife he's Maybe he's entertaining having an affair with Scarlett Johansson. I choose not to think so, but I can see how you could extrapolate that. Neglecting his children. He is he's a he's washed up and has been and is is looking or maybe not looking, maybe he's given up. I I, I think that you could go either way with it and not be that's the thing that I love about his performances. It's so internalized and it's so interpretive. You could he does mention the fact that I should be doing movies instead of this, so maybe he does still have hope. He actually he says he actually to, says he could be doing a play. 
He does say that too. So, I mean, we, we still get the sense that he has artistic integrity. Like, he still maybe loves this job that he has, but he is also maybe feeling like he's given up. He's resigning himself to just going to Japan and doing commercials, which is also kind of wrong, because from what I've read, them going there to do this, like any actor, Schwarzenegger, Harrison Ford, I mean, they make buckets of fucking money doing those jobs. Like, more money than they do over here. Like, they could do three movies in a row and not make what they make doing commercials in Japan. Oh, no, no, no. That, that, is, that is very true. Yeah. I think Harrison Ford got, like, $20 million to do the, what he's, the, the whiskey and Sean Connery. He, obviously, they make jokes about Sean Connery. I did watch the Sean Connery Centauri commercials, and they're fucking awful. <laughs> but he got so much money for doing those. Um, I don't know, man. I really... I adore Bill Murray in this. This is this is this is the Bill Murray that when this movie came out, this is the Bill Murray that I always I've always wanted. I really think that Groundhog Day I know the cult following with that movie and I know how much people love it and that's fine. It is a very funny movie, but it's also one of in the in the history of film, it's also one of the greatest missed opportunities to allow Bill Murray to examine this sort of meaning of life film oh, and a sure. lot of that just gets lost in the noise. Yeah, of of Harold Ramis, and I can. I, I'm not saying he's in the right, and and rest in peace, Harold Ramis. But if I was Bill Murray, I probably would have punched him in the fucking face too. <laughs> I mean, it, it, and here's the thing: I also don't want it to come across that I think Bill Murray is like terrible in this movie. Um, I just, I don't think. I think the performance is 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 good, but I, I you know, and yeah, I mean, do you, I mean, yes, we can talk about. I mean, what a fucking tightrope this is. Yeah, the uh, the blatant uh, jokes about Japanese, how they say things, and other other other. Parts oh, why of they movie. why they swap the L's and the R's? Yeah, yeah. To what does he say to amuse themselves just for yucks? Yeah, yep. I I don't know. That's that is again like cutting the African American character out of the beguile. That is kind of the elephant in the room. Is this film? overtly racist i know some i was reading that some people in the japanese press felt that it was that they were characterized and again like you said that the they they as people were not fully explored which i again i would never presume to tell somebody what they should or should not be offended by if you find that offensive then by all means you should find that offensive but that's also this movie is being told from a westerner's perspective and again i'm not trying to excuse the way that she shoots the film, but I also understand when she says that she wasn't out to necessarily... I, I don't think there was any malice in the way that she made this movie. She would it, travel to Japan frequently because, as as we mentioned, she has a clothing line and a, a fashion line there or, or whatever it is, but like it's it does genuinely feel like a love letter to the city, even if it's not necessarily a love letter to the people. I have a hard time finding moments that are deliberately spiteful in it. No, and I, 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 yes, I, I agree with you on that one. I don't, I don't think that, um, uh, I don't think that there's any malice behind it. I, 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 I want, yeah, I agree with you on that. I don't think that it's, the jokes were meant to be like, for like, for like, for yucks, the way that kind of built, like, like, I think Bill Murray's misinterpreting the words or not quite getting to hear them and. Like that's just that's just a frustration of obviously in the title, like not being able to understand everything that's being said. I, I think the like the photo shoot scene is 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 
I think it's hysterical. I think it's very funny. And like, and not because yeah. he's making fun of it, but also like his little, his little ad libs. Like, you know, do I drink this? Like as soon as we're done. Yeah. 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 He just is, he's just his general demeanor. You, yeah. And again, you might, you might call it racist and I'm not trying to be that, but the scene where they're actually shooting the commercial and the director has these long speeches and his interpreter comes back with like one word answers or like one sentence answers and he's like, I feel like he said more than that. Yeah. And you're like, if 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 you find that offensive, I don't know, maybe you're missing the, the point. I mean, the title is Lost in Translation. It's all about how, you know, we talked about this a lot in Babel, how communication breaks down between countries and societies and cultures it's just it again it'd be offended by whatever you want to be offended by but i just i i can't i can't see it no i i i agree i i, I agree with you i don't think that there was a, a, any any sense of of malice or or intent behind any of that Right, and of course, he's only there for a week. How much of this culture can you really... You could spend a lifetime in Japan and not absorb it all. So how are you supposed to absorb any of it within this week when you're just there on business and languishing in a hotel room where you have you know, jet lag and your head is spinning from this... I mean, it like anywhere else, and I'm sure the, 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 the Japanese feel the same about us, we may as well be on different planets, how divided our cultures are. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right, that's that's the point. Yeah, I know. I I, I love it. I mean, I was I mean, my my number one is my number one for very very specific reasons. But this is this is damn close, man. This is an important piece of independent filmmaking, if for no other reason. That that Sofia Capella, like the Coppola, this is this is her. She has a very unique style, a very unique vision, and I think. Even in it's it's an incredible feat what an accomplished second feature this is with the themes that she is exploring from loneliness and culture divide, uh, and and these these human connections that we find in the in the oddest of situations and and far flung from our our homes and and comfort zones. I I, I think the relationship between Scarlett Johansson and Bill Murray is a a really beautiful one. I love that it's not consummated, and I love that we don't know what he says to her. I know, obviously, there are are fan theories about what it is that he says, but... Yeah, yeah. No, and that's... that's, uh, Yes, that is a a beautiful moment, and it's wonderful, and... And again, like, and I've, I mean, like her other movies, like it, it takes its time. Her movies, other aside from Marie Antoinette, are not very long. They're not long movies. And yeah, don't get me wrong. This is a long hour and forty minutes, but it's an hour and forty minutes that I, I don't mind the length. I like to feel the beats of this film to feel like I'm stuck in a different time zone. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I'm, I, I have no issue with that. And, and you know. I think getting to the end, I, I think they, I do think they earn it. I just, I just, this, I, you know, you mentioned the force for the trees thing earlier. Like, I feel like this movie is not greater than the sum of its parts. I think it's got some moments in it, but overall the movie itself to me, it just doesn't click as much. It just, and I, I, I mentioned this, uh, uh, when we were talking about talk to her, right? I don't like movies where we have to listen to people sing if it's not p- like pivotal to the plot. And yet that one guy and talk to her, we're like the karaoke scene in this. No, not for me. I don't cut it, cut it. <laughs> Anything to do with the fact that Bill Murray can't really sing. No, I think that's like, that to me is great. Like he doesn't, that's, that's part of the humor of it. But I also don't need to hear 
as much of it as we did. I don't. I don't. Sure. And I don't know. So this is one of the this is one of the longer of her movies. Most of her movies fall in that little ninety minute groove. So I think maybe you feel this would benefit from a more stripped down, streamlined version if you can get it closer to that ninety minute mark. Yeah, I, I, I maybe, and I don't know. I, I have all you know what's and I got to be honest. I've I've always felt lukewarm to this movie. Interesting. It just, I, I mean, I get that that at the time, like this was this was a, a like a real strong side of Murray that we hadn't seen before. He lost to Sean Penn. You know, people had their feelings about that. Um, but like, I just, I think it's a fine. I think it's a fine movie. I I will concede. I'm still going Sean Penn every time. I mean, would you would you concur with that? Would you go Sean Penn over Bill Murray every day of the week? I I, I would. Yeah, yeah. That scene in the park, it's that I don't care if he goes too big and the music is too big. It works. I yeah, love it. I, I do. It earns it. I, I do too. It's fucking. It's good. It's fucking good. I do too. Um. So again, because because we've been trying to be good about this. Uh. I mean, this. Yeah. It, it won best original screenplay at the Oscars. It was up for best picture and director and actor. Uh, one picture actor screenplay at the Globes, uh, one best actor and actress and editing at the BAFTAs. Uh, he was up for a SAG nom. She was up for a DGA nom. Four Spirit Award wins. National Board Review top ten. Uh, Seattle Film Critics, one best director, actor, and original screenplay. I mean, this was a That's big great. critical yeah. hit film of the year. Yeah. Ninety-five uh, critical, eighty-five audience. I think one of the the closer and obviously highest pairings of that well i mean i know you're gonna you, obviously probably not too happy about the editing of the baftas but original screenplay is your jam talk to me about that how do you feel about that okay my thoughts on uh loss in translation winning best original screenplay here's the thing i have not seen three of the other films that were up for it I okay, not, hit me with it. Give me the lineup. I have not seen The Barbarian Invasions. Neither have I. I have not seen Dirty Pretty Things. No, I hear that's really... That's a Stephen Knight movie, yes. so I'm sure it's great. Uh, and I have not... I own but have not seen In America, which is a Jim Sheridan film. Right, right. Uh, but the other one, and I, I would absolutely, every day and twice on Sunday, I would go with Finding Nemo over Lost in Translation for Best Original Screenplay. That's that's a that's a big one. I don't know. I don't know that I could argue that. That's a good no. Finding Nemo's a good choice. So, but I, yeah, I I I I really wish I had more to say. I really do. I, I I just it's. I wish I could. I wish I could share some of my. I mean, I have shared it with you, but I wish I could transfer some of my passion for this movie over to you. It's it's a go-to movie for us in this house. I mean, I really and and every time I think I discover something new or fall in love with some other detail that I had forgotten about. Well, do you want to hear what my number 2 is? Do it. It's The Bling Ring. That is crazy how high that is. <laughs> that is that is banana pants crazy. Okay. Everything that didn't work about Marie Antoinette works in the bling ring i can't argue that the movie has so much fucking style in it and, oh yeah and this is so i don't know i i feel like i've made this i've told you about this movie before 
it, but like I, I just I, I have to start with this because it's it's my end to the movie. So have you ever, have you seen Blue Sky? movie with Jessica Lange, which won Best Actress for it, 1994. No, no, but no, but you've definitely talked to me about it. Okay. So basically in the movie, she's married to Tommy Lee Jones. She's like a military wife, and she's very flirty. She's actively like having a side thing with Powers Booth in the movie. She's not a likable character. And I remember I watched it really late at night and went, and went to bed kind of angry with her. And even though she does like kind of the right thing at the end of the movie, I, I, I left, I was thinking like, fuck, I fucking hated, I hated this movie. I hated her, right? <laughs> And then I woke up and I was still thinking about it a lot. And then it clicked. I was like, oh, no shit. Like, I hated her so much that I'm realizing how just how good the performance was. Right. And 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 just the fact that you're thinking about it the next day, that's a win. And so they did their job. And so we we Melissa and I watched. she, She watched very few of these movies with me, but we watched the bling ring. And like the next day I was like motherfucker i gotta read this fuck i read the i read that article i read the vanity fair article and like i couldn't believe how like how much of this shit was true i loved ah i loved having protagonists that i could root against watching their demise i got so much fucking glee out of it and i think this might be the most important movie she's made at just pointing out the like the the fucked upness of youth today right and like just like the way that we put so much importance on celebrity and like what we think we can get away with i i i dude i went into this with low hopes honestly low expectations so did i I. and it blew me away in almost every capacity i you know i can't i can't i i'm gonna agree with quite a lot of what you're saying it's number it's number five just because i like the other four or i admire in the case of something like virgin suicides that we'll get to in a minute that's something that i admire a little bit more about it you're absolutely right watching these people crash and burn as spectacularly as they do is really satisfying because i mean they are our generation they are everything that is wrong with our generation and what will permeate into the next one and probably the one after that yeah. Like these people are just scum. Yeah. Yeah. They 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 value everything that is wrong with our society. They put all those things on a pedestal. They worship, as you say, they worship celebrity. The scene how do you pronounce her first name? Vera Farmiga's little sister. Uh Taza, I think. Taza. The scene where she gets the gun and she's just waving it about. Like it's nothing. I wanted to reach in. I'm sorry. I'm I, again. Call me misogynist if you want to. I wanted to like knock that gun out of her fucking hand as hard and as violently as possible. It was the, the most fr- one of the most frustrating things outside of like Elephant that I've seen in a film in the last couple of years. Like it drove me fucking bonkers. But the thing. So watching them crash and burn. Yeah. As you said, it's supremely satisfying. Yeah. And then and then for me and this was the only. You know, I, I went and read the, the article and I, I seriously, I was blown away by how much of this really happened. Direct quotes of um, um, uh, Emma Watson's character directly pulled from from the interview. I just I couldn't believe like 
and then Melissa, because Melissa, you know, she she watches E, and she 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 knew about the the reality show that that family was actually involved in, and I and I'm sitting there going, you've got to be out of your fucking mind, the like to give these people a platform. The right? weird, the weird, like, and this wasn't a documentary, but like the the like the blending of like real celebrities being and it being allowed to film in some of these celebrities' homes, I thought the. The way that the music blew up in Sofia Coppola's face and Marie Antoinette worked so well in this movie, and then yeah, and then just like again, um, before he passed, like Harris Savitas convincing her that long take of breaking into the one house, dude, I, I, dude, I'm sitting here right that, now. That might be the best shot in any of her movies. I, I, yeah, yeah, and I'm, and I'm still keeping it at number five, but that shot is <laughs> choice, dude. I, I don't know, I. I, I am I, I'll tell you this. I am as surprised as you are that this movie is as high as it is. It's it's crazy. You know that, right? As long as you recognize how oh, crazy that I is. I recognize it's crazy. I also uh maybe maybe a, the best time to go that this has a sixty percent critical and a thirty three percent this almost makes below freezing standards. Yeah. And if and if it did, I'd be fucking singing its goddamn praises. If it did, I would. So th- so this is a good bad movie. This is a this is a good movie. <laughs> and and I wonder and it's so funny and well I guess that's the that is the audience score. I just wonder like this seems like or maybe like it's the people watching it can't have this shit thrown back in their face so much. But like I, oh my dude, I fucking. I, I can't dude I seriously or, I, or not being able to separate the truth from from the art they're so and that was my initial reaction they pissed me off so much that I my initial list this was number seven. Oh man and then I took then I then I took a step back and I remember no 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 you know, like think about the movie think about the the art of it think about how it's made think about the performance to forget latching on to what pieces of shit all these people are yeah and how yes. they deserve everything they got and and more it's crazy to think that the one character the emma the the, uh emma watson character only served 30 days yeah out out of her how many years was it was it just a year she was sentenced to or three i don't remember yeah they threw a lot of a lot of numbers at the end of the movie out i can't remember right 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 but yeah i it's it's everything that sucks about this generation i'm sorry if you're one of these people that idolizes celebrity in this way i'm sorry take a long hard look in the mirror at your potential what you could become the lows that you could sink to and and i i just at the end of the day like again i i try to think about i know I've, i've slowly been trying to to whittle down, a, a, you know, a, like to make a top 100, like my, my, my favorite hundred films of all time. And th- th- don't, this is not making it, but like, I keep coming back to like, I want movies that elicit strong reactions from me. And this, this is it. This, this yeah. for me, like it certainly did. And I like, I, this is like one of the first times I like, I've really sat up during this recording. Cause like this movie is frustrating in such an entertaining way. Yeah. I don't know how else to say it. Like I am befuddled. I, I can't believe this actually happened and yet I'm riveted and I, I think it makes and it makes a great a great film. I think like the, like putting this on film is so great. Like I'm glad it didn't just live on in like reality TV and that article. Like I think it made a really great movie. The excess of it, the slow-mo, the music, it all worked for me. Yeah, and it's important, I think, to put this story out there to a wider audience. 
Yeah, I agree. And to, to show that to show this kind of parable, even though a lot of people probably won't interpret it that way, but at least put it out there and say that you tried. Yeah, yeah, man. I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that you kind of gave me some sort of like reset your expectations because I <laughs> we had talked we had talked before we started this process of revisiting your movies, and I I expressed my disinterest in it. And of course, you had already seen it, and you said, "No, no, really, like, come on, just align your perceptions and really think about the the story that you're going." I'm obviously I'm paraphrasing for you, but you you really <laughs> tried to like really tried to help me open my mind to it. I'm kind of glad that you did. Again, I'm not. It's not going to budge. It's going to stay at number five. But that's only just because, as I said, I I like the other ones more. I might I probably appreciate this one more than my number four, which was Virgin Suicides. But I don't I don't like it more. Sure. That's good. Good with me. I, I couldn't, yeah. I just, yeah, very surprised how much I liked it. And of course, I mean, everybody's, it seemed like in the, uh, you know, in a lot of the trivia and, and the reviews and things like that, everybody lost their minds about how good Emma Watson is in it. And of course, I mean, she has the benefit of being the dorky, nerdy Hermione Granger in, in Harry Potter. I think it's such a, a great thing for her to swing for the fences like she did with this role. Oh, I mean, yeah. That's, that's, re- that's what you need to get out of that sort of typecast, I feel the same thing that Robert Pattinson did when he started working with A24 and making the great movies that he get get away from that. Yeah. You made your money, you know, you're part of the big franchise, you put your mark on the world, now go and make something important and show people just how talented you really are. Yeah, for so, sure. So, I mean, I get it. I get all the praise, but I what what is disappointing about all, all the praise getting lumped onto her is that everybody else kind of falls by the wayside, which is a shame because I think there are are tremendous performances across the board. Oh yeah. I think, I think, I think our, our ensemble of, of teenage miscreants are all great. I think they're great. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's incredible believability to all of them. Um, so, uh, I, I, well, this, this, this isn't, maybe this is a ham fisted segue, but I also, I also was surprised at how much I enjoyed your number one. Just somewhere. Yeah. That's my and it's my number three. So do you want to, you want to do somewhere? You want to do somewhere now because we still have Virgin Suicides, right? Because that well, yeah, yeah, that's my number one. You want to? Yeah, let's let's do somewhere first and then go into her first film. That sure. that'll be a nice way to end it, I think, and end with the first one. Yeah. So somewhere. Yeah. Somewhere really struck a chord with me this time, man. Like I I got it. I, I tell you what, if we let's just say that we had made this list. In 2011, in 2012, maybe even after the Bling Ring had come out, and and done just her first five films, I think maybe somewhere might have been the bottom. It might have been right at the bottom of the list. I really hated this movie the first time I saw it. Man, yeah. didn't get it. Thought it was overindulgent, too long. I kind of I had read a lot of the the controver- about the controversy at Venice, yeah. and I think that had lodged in my brain as well. That if if anybody isn't isn't aware of this, it it premiered at venice it was in contention uh quentin tarantino was uh president of the jury that particular year and he had formally dated sofia coppola and so a lot of people when he awarded or as part of the jury awarded this film the grand prize a lot of people cried foul especially in the italian media saying that there was a lot of bias but he said that you know the longer we sat and thought about it the more that we grew to love the film uh and I, I get it. This is not this movie is not a one and done. And of course, for me, I mean, it came out 2010. Definitely not mature enough to appreciate 
all the all the themes of sort of loneliness and disconnect and disenfranchisement that I definitely definitely really felt like this movie like got to me this time man like I was I was in tears during some of it and Stephen oh. Dorff yeah where wow where has that like where had that Stephen Dorff been his entire career yeah that, I have that same exact note I have that same exact right? note but I want I don't want to brush past what you just said um where lost in translation doesn't work for me this succeeds right um absolutely the and and I don't know if it's the age the age difference between Bill Murray and Stephen Dorff but like like watching like you watching him just in his hotel room by himself just with like not even knowing what to do and like and that's like that's what I found more interesting was like he could he's he's a Hollywood star he could go do whatever he wants to and yet he's choosing to just do to do nothing and that it's not it's not as glamorous as he thinks and and of course again I will put my I have biases with both of these picks um with this and, and my number one um like this it's a father-daughter story like and like watching him actually get to like even though he's not like really, really hanging out with her, it's more than he ever has. And getting to kind of see, wow, look at this human. Look at this person that I helped create and I haven't gotten to spend enough time with. She's pretty fucking cool. And like that phone call at the end, like again, is maybe maybe the movie is just building to that moment, but you know what? It, it's it's that's a fucking amazing moment. <laughs> It, it earns it. Yeah. I think it 100% earns it. I, I, this is a movie that is almost, even though it is a, a modern picture with, with you know, modern themes, important themes, probably I'm assuming that this, this industry is rife with, uh, it, it's got a very, it's got a classic feel to it. Even to the fact I was reading that they, they shot with lenses that Francis Coppola shot uh, Rumblefish with I to read, give it a yes. bit more of a period feel, even though that that may not click with you on first or second viewing. It's it's there. It feels like a classic seventies well, character study the, where we're just forced to live in the moment with this man. And the intention behind it of picking those lenses and shooting at the you know at the Chateau Marmont and and again it also like I also feel like where where Marie Antoinette fails this succeeds because um like she's you know getting to shoot over that that lovely hotel wherever they are uh uh in Italy like that was just like you still get like a lot of the grandeur of of stuff too with it it's I yeah I don't I don't know it's well yeah exactly in the case of Marie Antoinette it's the opulence of all of that but also dealing with the weight of that opulence yeah yeah and uh man I it just, it just, everything about it worked for me this time. I can't stress that enough that this is really, not, if you've seen it once and you didn't warm to it, or even if you're, if like me, you watch these films chronologically and you saw Marie Antoinette and you saw Lost in Translation and you just think to yourself, oh, she's just retreading the same steps that she's already tread. I know, I, maybe, but I think she's perfected them here. I think she's finally found in this film, all the things that she wanted to say in those other two movies about, you know, the, the sort of disenfranchisement that comes with celebrity and being put on a pedestal as, as a person being elevated above what most normal people are, 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 are at and, and how that affects your relationships, even with those closest to you and the world around you. It's just, the the isolation and the loneliness in this film is just it's a t it hits you like a ton of bricks. The weight of it cannot be understated, or or it can't be overstated rather. Well, and and I think it has to be mentioned that you know 
Sofia Coppola is the daughter of one of the most acclaimed directors of all time. Like getting getting the perspective of somebody of the daughter of somebody who especially in the 70s was in the limelight a lot right to to explore the father-daughter relationship of a big star like like i I think i think she had something to bring to this movie i think yeah well and and she claims that neither of those films either this or lost in translation are autobiographical but there are there are instances in these films that have been a part of her real life whether it is the the sort of the breakdown of her relationship with Spike Jones, as is evident that there is a breakdown in the relationship between Giovanna Ribisi and, and Scarlett Johansson, or whether it is having to be stuck in hotel rooms while her dad is off promoting movies all over the world. I mean, it's there. And what I love about her films is having that sort of background and seeing her get to, I don't know, maybe, maybe she wouldn't call it therapy, but I know that if I was in her position enough, I was making these films and exploring those scenes. I mean, there must be, some sort of therapy to this, right? To be able to, some sort of catharsis in getting to relive these moments and examine them in the way that she does. I mean, I can only speak from from personal experience of, of the, the, the shows I've happened to work on. But yeah, you never want to, you never want to make it therapy, but that it can be therapeutic. And I, I absolutely, right. yeah, agree with that. Yeah. And somewhere it's just, I'm, so what, this was your number three? Yes. I, I'm really glad that it's not lower. I, I'm really happy about that. Otherwise, uh, that, that could have bummed me out. No, and, I'm, and glad, I'm glad that you connected with it. Maybe not as much as I did this go around, but... My, my one through three are movies that I, 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 I know that I will be excited to watch again. My four, my four well, my, my four through six, w- you know, we'll see. Marie Antoinette, I, I want to fucking burn. But yeah, I... <laughs> but no, somewhere... And somewhere I watched by myself... And, uh, yeah, I, I, I really, this is, I, you know, I, I'm trying to make a list of movies in my head that I would love to watch, like, with my kids someday. But, like, when, like, when Stella gets old enough to, like, I, I just would love to watch this with her and get, get, get her slightly older perspective of it. And, like, you know, what did, what did you think of this and this, their relationship and what's going on? Because I, I think I, you know, it's so funny. I got so much joy out of watching him watch her ice skate. Is that scene long? Yeah, it is. It is. Could it be shorter? Probably. But just watching him sort of start to realize, like, look at this person. <laughs> look at her. Like, maybe he knew that she ice skated, but how much how how much has he actually given her the attention to, to, to notice what she can do? Yeah, I, I, I think it's great. I think the, a lot of the like the revelations of him, like it's I mean, it is kind of sad that he hasn't been there for so much of it. But the, the joy of this movie is him discovering how much that he does actually want to be a father and how much he wants to be a part of this person's life, even if it is maybe too late in some people's minds. I think I think what's so great about the daughter is that she really sees him for who he is. And I don't I don't necessarily get that she judges him. I, I think she accepts him for who he, for who he is and she kind of it's it's sad, but she takes what she can get. and she I think she values and I think he comes to value what they do get together. I mean, there's, she's got one scene that really bowls me over where she's just, it's all eye acting. And this is why I think Elle Fanning is, is one of the greatest actresses of her generation. It's the hotel scene the morning after yeah. in Italy. <laughs> and she gives it when the, the, the woman that he's had the one night stand with or the woman that he's reconnected with yeah. is there in the room as well in the phone in a bathrobe. And he comes and sits at the table and she gives him the, are you fucking kidding me eyes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's great. That oh, one of the greatest moments in the whole movie. Yeah. 
it, one it, of the greatest pieces of child acting I think in film history. It is a it, it's a solid it's a solid movie. It, she gives a solid performance. I I it's and here's you know and like this is another one of those like seventy percent critical, forty eight percent audience like. See the the forty in this case the forty eight percent doesn't surprise me. Yeah, m- me neither. Me neither. It, it's a shame. I, I think it's sad, but it doesn't it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. And how and how fun is it to see Chris Pontius pop up? He he was just I he just I mean I know he was cast on his improv skills and like you know he was just like just playing Guitar Hero and smoking pot and trying to make El Fanning laugh like that's all right, yeah, cool you I, do you you do I, you man. I love the scene where he's talking to her. Hey, you, you got to check out to see if your ballet teacher, is she an alcoholic? Because they're all alcoholics. <laughs> just watch her. It's, it's good. I, I love I love him sort of fucking with Al Fanning a little bit. I think I think, I think think it's a shame that Chris Pontius hasn't gotten more opportunities outside of Jackass. I think, I think there is talent there. I think there's talent there that could be developed. Well, he, uh, his mind's probably a bit. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'll, I mean, all of those guys are are yeah. a little bit worse for wear. Yeah. Um. So, do you want to do you want to talk about the Virgin Suicides? I would love to talk about the Virgin Suicides. I, it's I, my number four. I your number one. Yeah, I can't even lie. There's a huge nostalgic factor with this movie. And again, I didn't see it at the time. Yeah. So you, I'm assuming you saw it pretty so, close to when so, it came out. Yeah. So uh, I, this is one of those, like my sister and I don't have many movies that we like connect over. I think the only one I can really think of on the top of my head is drop dead Fred. Uh, but um, that's a great move that just stop you. <laughs> that is an absolutely fucking fantastic movie to bond over. <laughs> I love that so much, but, um, uh, but like, so this came out in 99 and I, I guarantee we didn't see it until it came out on video. So we probably didn't see it until 2000. At that point I would have been, 13 she would have been 11 and I, I i we 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 had to have watched this movie together but like and this is still a movie that she but like is beloved by her but like there's so much about this movie the way that it looks like a polaroid from the 70s the the needle drops um what a great time for G, giovanni rabisi's narration career because he also goes on to narrate bulks of of boiler room and like wow and he, he's just got that subtle, he's not over trying. Like, I don't know. I, I It's very naturalistic that, I mean, I don't, I don't love, as you know me, I don't love the narration in most things yeah. and I don't necessarily love it here. I think there are moments where it is, it is necessary. There are quite a lot of gaps that he does have to fill in for us, but it when when it's good, it's very, very good. Yeah. He's very naturalistic. It's very just matter of fact without being lifeless. Yeah. And I also, I think part of, part of what I love about this movie is that we don't need strong character motivations. We don't need, uh, the answers to the mystery solved. We just, I, I, I think for me, I just, I just buy, I buy, buy everything that happens. I just kind of, and, and we get the, the line early on, you know, well, doctor, you've clearly never been a 13 year old girl, right? It's like, and so we kind of even get this hint, like, if you're male, you're not going to, you're not, there's no reason to try to even explain this to you because you're not going to understand it anyway. And so the way that it just kind of happens, I think is exactly the way this story needs to be told. I agree with most of that. <laughs> I, I like, I like what you're saying. If you, if you're a man, then you're not going to get it. You know, this is, this is about a very specific age group 
This is about a very specific time in these young women's lives, and you have to just accept the fact and that the thing, the whole point of the movie is these these boys struggling to connect and understand with with who these women are, who these young girls are, and and where they are at in yeah. their lives. I will say, if you're not Kirsten Dunst, you're a little bit hard done by by this film. I I no, I totally agree. I, t- I mean, I totally agree, and I think again the way that the story is framed is that she's and and this isn't this is my opinion i don't necessarily of what i think is being told i don't necessarily agree with it but that kirsten dunst is the the hot one i think is what is we're being told and that from the from the perspective of these boys lux has been put up on a pedestal and that lux is a bit more i don't know i guess we'll use the word promiscuous but like that she is this this sort of Madonna in the shell, right? She's the one, she's this elevated love goddess that they, they, they look up to. And it's not, and it's not that the other sisters aren't attractive, but I think she's the one, she is the one that they look up to. Right. Well, she's, she's the most, she gets to do Madonna and whore. She is the one that is the most developed. Yes. Right. Whereas everybody else, like I, when, I mean, the movie's called the Virgin Suicides. It's also 20 years old. If you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, whatever. I think you know where this movie is going. All five of the girls commit suicide over the course of this movie. The issue is for me is that I don't need it to happen like uh, a horror movie. I don't need it to happen like Alien, where everybody gets bumped off one at a time. The the build there is, and the reason why this movie isn't higher for me, as much as I appreciate it, and as much as I think it's a big, bold debut feature. I mean, I the fact that this is her first movie, I I love, but I also don't love that it's her first feature because there's uh, quite a few things about it that are sort of underdeveloped for me that I think that a more experienced filmmaker could have injected a little bit more more into uh for lack of a better word i just i as i keep coming back to i feel really disheartened by the fact of and again we don't like you said we don't need the motivations but when they all do their group suicide the four of them i mean am i am i speaking out of turn is it wrong to say that there's a real lack of development on the other three girls part. Like their, their, their motivations for, I, I don't need it spelled out for me, but I needed more than what we got. I, I, so, okay. So I, so I agree with part of what you said, right? I think that yes, in terms of knowing the other sisters, well, we don't, that's absolutely true. We don't, but we know that just like Lux, they've been pulled from school. We know just like Lux, they have no extracurricular activities. We know just like Lux, they're also dealing with the death of their youngest sister who committed suicide, and they're trapped. They're, they, they have to live in the same – they can't leave the confines of the building that their sister used to live in, right? That they're – you know, that as much as you can pull away the fence that the youngest sister jumped onto – that 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 happened right outside. And I think that even though Lux is the most fully developed character – I still think that because they're sisters and because the, their set of circumstances are similar, the the and the idea of a group suicide, it, it, I it sounds so weird to say, it, but it's justified in terms of the movie to me because they've all gone through the same thing, and may, maybe right. maybe the other three aren't having sex with strangers as Lux seems to be doing in the movie, but that doesn't mean that they're still not going through their own thing. They. Like the, the being jailed, essentially jailed by the people who are supposed to love you the most, right? By your parents. So, 
Yeah. It's it is it is a it is a lot to accept that they would all do it simultaneously though. You know what I mean? I, I think I think my gap my gap in connecting is the it's logically it's a big it's a big leap that I'm having a hard time making that they would all that all of them would feel the same way. That kind of feels like a disservice to them. Like you're, you know, they're all the same person. They're all feeling the same thing, which is, it's not at a character level is not really fair. I mean, and I, and I can't, and I get that's, that's the plot of the movie. That's the story that they're telling. I'm talking about a different movie. Sure. I mean, I I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I do the way that it's executed. And you know, the movie that the movie that I saw in my head, right. Is, is, was, it worked. It worked for me. Yeah. Now there's there's a lot of other things that do work for me, and you've you've listed a lot of them. The movie is spectacularly beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's it's gorgeous to look at, as you said, like a postcard from the seventies. Uh, again, the the music absolutely incredible. I don't know how on a first feature you get a music budget like that because I I don't think I'd those... heard I don't think I'd heard "Come Sail Away" until I'd seen this movie. I I think it just didn't yeah. it just never reached my my mind, and then I. I was like, oh, all right, I get this. And I fucking hate that song, but I, <laughs> I like it. I like it here. Uh, what else what, what else do you have on there? There's some, there's some great songs on there. Um, oh, a couple of songs by Heart. Got Todd Rundgren on there. Uh, the Al Green song, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart, which was a Bee Gees composition. I, I really, really like that. Strange I'm not in love. Strange magic. Strange Magic. I'm not in love by 10cc. I mean, it's a it's an incredible soundtrack that I think, honestly, I mean, a bit of a stretch. I think maybe it rivals Almost Famous, just because I think Almost Famous might be a bit much. Sure. I, I yeah, I hear. Well, it's a it's a it's a movie about music. I mean, it's you know. right, right. Um, but it's so, almost like Almost Famous is Almost Famous is kind of showing off. Like, y- look yeah, at how it, big our mu- music budget is. was. It absolutely is. Um. So, uh, what do you? Th- can I ask you a question? Yeah, yeah. What do you what do you think make of the the like the documentary feel of the Trip Fontaine character when he's an adult? It's a different. I I don't know. It didn't it does that again is another sort of disconnect for me where it doesn't quite work. It's it's one of like those... I I get it, but it's it's really jarring. Yeah, I mean it's. And then part of me, you know, part of me wonders too, like, is, is, is that Giovanni Rabisi character who I think clearly has to be one of those four boys across the street. Is this like, is he, he, has he found Trip, Trip Fontaine later in life and, and is asking him these questions or like, like, it's just, it seems like somebody really, you know, years later who clearly hasn't let the lives of these five girls who lived across the street from him or whatever, like leave his brain and, it's become this weird obsessive thing in, in the later parts of his life. Still like still trying to sort of, as he says at the end, like put the pieces together of a puzzle that we don't have all the pieces for. Um, now, if more of the movie had been like that, if it's actually like, Hey guy, if, if you start the movie with, Hey guys, I got to the, the pick whichever one of the four you want is Rubisi. He's like, I have to make, I have to make this movie. I have to tell this story. Say he's like a film student at UCLA or, or whatever, and he's like, I, I have to do this as like my thesis thing. So then we have like more of a documentary feel like built into the rest of the film. Then I think it works, but it's like 
really the only example in it through the rest of the movie. So that's no, that's it, why I find it jarring. It, no, it is. It absolutely is. It, it, it does stick out quite a bit. That, right. That's why I just wanted to get your, your vibes on it because it is it, it is a, a unique moment within it that then never really gets repeated again. Right. And again, it's, there's another thing where, I, again, I'm looking for a different movie. I'm looking for a different way of telling the story. But I also feel like Kathleen Turner, James Woods are a bit hard done by Oh, we don't oh, really, man. we don't really, we do get to see them grieve. Well, but, it's, it's not that I, I, I don't, oh, I, but they sorry. just, but they just, they just leave. They don't get, they get to grieve throughout the course of the movie, but we don't, do we need, again, I'm in two minds. Do we need to see them grieve the loss of all five of them? But we're also, maybe we don't need it, but we're also kind of robbed of it oh, see, at the same time. I, oh, Again, no, it's no, something no. that I, I you, that I'm not quite sure about. You talk about Bill Murray internalizing and lost in translation. When they leave the house at the end of the movie, there's their, their movements, their silence. It says so much. And I think, yes, like we don't get a lot of backstory with them, but their performances in the movie are, I, that is a, that's a top three, top two James Woods performance. I think he is. Oh, no, no. I, oh, I agree with through throughout the movie. It's great. I love how disaffected he is, how disassociated he kind of is from his daughter. Like he clearly he loves his daughters. He's not a bad, not a quote unquote. He's not a bad dad. Yeah. He's just a disconnected one. He's more interested in talking to these boys about World War Two, you know, plane <laughs> models and shit like that. Like he, he clearly has things that he's passionate about and things that he loves. And I'm sure he, I'm sure he loves his daughters as much as any dad. He just doesn't know how to connect with them. And I, I understand it's probably very tough when you're in a house of seven when you're the only male. I'm yeah. assuming that's that's it's rough. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I'm I'm outnumbered, but not not as bad as as he is. Right. I mean, I no, I get it. He's he does some amazing internalization, as does Kathleen Turner. And and neither of them go very big. They're both very restrained, which I yeah. love that works for the performances. Like if either of them had a blow up throughout the movie, I think that would have really rung false to me because that's not how they that's clearly not how they parent their their children. There is more even if they don't necessarily want to acknowledge it, they sort of rule that house through fear. Yeah. And it's a very sort of understated sort of fear and understanding that they have with those girls. Uh, the scene where James Woods is like, you know, something has clearly snapped in his mind. And, you know, when the girls have been withdrawn from school, there's that great scene where the principal comes up to him because he's a teacher at their school. And he's, the principal says to him, your girls haven't been here for two weeks. What's going on? And he's like, have you, have you looked out back? That is, that might be my favorite moment in the whole fucking movie. I really, really like his disconnect there. It is. I mean, I don't say this often about James Woods because I, I don't think he's a particularly great actor, but he is genuinely great in this. I just, again, coming back to the end of the movie is like the girls commit suicide and then they're just gone. And instead, we have this party scene where, again, I understand thematically why the, the world keeps... We want to show that the world keeps turning. Yeah. And that this community, they may mourn the loss of this family, but it's not going to be for very long. And a year from now, who's going to be talking about them other than these four boys and Trip Fontaine that can't let go of the impact that they had on their lives? You know, the rest of the community, the rest of the world is just going to go on. Yeah. I get it. But that party scene feels... It's indulgent. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I, I get it, but bit. it's, yeah. but yeah. It, again, there's, there's, I want to like this film more because it's like, it's right. It is right on the cusp of greatness, but then 
it does something that, and again, it's just me. It just does something that I'm like, ah, I wish you had done X instead of Y. Yeah, and 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 I and I totally get that, and that I feel like that's actually that's a very similar thoughts to Lost in Translation. It, yeah. it, I, it's like it's like almost there, and it's just like if yeah, if you had done that instead of this, maybe that changes the outlook. But right, I hear right. you. I hear you. Also, the the supporting cast on this film. Outside of you know James Woods and and young Josh Hartnett and very very young Hayden Christensen <laughs> does amuse me because I mean I'm I'm not I, I I would never presume to use the word nepotism but it does feel like she she did get a little bit of a leg up with with the cast because do we do we need Danny DeVito do we need Scott Glenn and of course these guys have been working for decades they've been in a lot of movies but I don't think it's going to be lost on anybody that they were in you know, big Francis Coppola movies. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, it's, you know, is there a bit of nepotism in there? Probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. but, but it's also great to, to see it. I mean, I, I like the Scott Glenn scene I, much more than that. Cause anybody could play that day. You could argue that anybody could have played either of them, yeah, but I yeah. mean, I think Scott Glenn is Scott Glenn is particularly good as that priest. The the scene where he can't, James Woods just can't, again, he's disconnected. He just can't connect with him. Yeah. And instead he's talking about the goddamn baseball. Yeah. And how that kid can't hit a line drive or some shit. I don't know. I don't know baseball terms. It's no, that's, yeah, whatever. that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is, it, is it a line drive? Yep. Yep. I'll be, I'll be pretty impressed with myself if I remembered that detail. There you go. Uh, I, I do, again, I, I really like seeing Scott Glenn, but I mean, Danny DeVito, what what do we need him for? He could have, they could have been anybody. Yeah, I mean, yes, they could. Other than, of course, other than, of course, that it's nice to see. The, the flip side of that is, oh, it's nice to see these big name stars who didn't have to come and do this support the next generation of Coppola filmmakers. Well, for sure, for sure. Um, just, and just really quickly, this is the only of of uh, her movies where the audience is higher than the critical. It's got a 77 critical and an 81 audience. Um, that, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that tracks it. Uh, the, we, we frequently mentioned that Cahiers to cinema. Uh, it was tied for the seventh best film with Yee Yee. Have you seen Yee Yee? I think you've talked to me about Yee Yee, but Yee Yee's fucking long. It's, right? it's really long. It's really long. <laughs> it's just, it, and I can't say that it's bad. It's just really fucking long. A couple of weird ones we don't usually talk about as well. Won the Young Hollywood Award for Best Director. Won the MTV Movie Award for Best New Director. There was an accolade that I forgot about when we were talking Lost in Translation. Wanted to loop it back around and do a little tie-in to Below Freezing. You guys frequently on that show talk about the Stinkers Bad Movie Awards. We do. Uh, Lost in Translation was nominated for Most Overrated Film of the Year. This amused me. Uh, again, I'm derailing the show and not talking about really either Lost in Translation or, or Virgin <laughs> Suicides. It just really pissed me off when I saw it, one, that it was nominated for that. I, I got it, but it's still in, at my cinephile core pissed me off. Sure. Uh, the other movies nominated that year were Big Fish, Kill Bill, and the one that won was Lost Samurai. Or, sorry, Last Samurai. Which, on all four of those, go fuck yourself. You know, I, 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 I'm gonna, I'm just gonna remain silent because I, I have not seen Last Samurai since, since I saw it the first time, and I don't know that I have, I, I can't say that I have strong feelings one way or the other. It's still pretty good. Anyway, back to, back to Virgin Suicides. All right, I just wanted to make sure that I got that little dig in there. Yep. <laughs> 
Yeah, man. I just, I, it's a movie. It's a movie that I, I respect more than I like, and I'm really hoping that a second viewing, because again, yeah, first time I saw it, saw it for the pod. Yeah. Uh, I'm really hoping I'm gonna find a lot more. Because the movie is just rampant with beautiful little details. I think one of my favorite is after Cecilia, the youngest, the first one, kills herself. You watch the house, not very obviously, but very slowly start to fall into into sort of disarray. Yeah. Obviously, both both psychologically and physically. I mean, the house, they start to care less about the appearance of the house. One yeah. of my favorite things is the number seven above the door yep. gets like tilted. So it's on its side and never repaired throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah. Yep. Even though the rest of the movie takes place over several months. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's great. That's fabulous. And one of the things that I think she would be she uh, the the thing about her movie the the level of detail, the level of love and detail in her films is I think is what makes her stand out as one of the the unique voices of her generation as a filmmaker. And I, I think a great example that she sets not just for fellow female filmmakers but for for all filmmakers. Yeah, I agree. With I with agree. the as we've talked about, with the exception of On the Rocks, they're all very unique, very striking films. Uh, yes, I would agree. I would agree. So th- those are our thoughts about uh, all of her films. So um, I I I made a I made a decision about our seven. You you can't change my mind on it. But uh, let's. Uh, that's okay. I, I I'll give you mine. Ian will give you his, and then I'll give you the cumulative. So here we go. Uh, my list from seven to one. Uh, mine go Marie Antoinette, On the Rocks, The Beguiled, Lost in Translation, Somewhere, The Bling Ring, and The Virgin Suicides. And my top seven Sofia Coppola film starting at number seven, On the Rocks, Marie Antoinette, The Bling Ring, The Virgin Suicides, The Beguiled, Lost in Translation, number one is Somewhere. This is the cumulative 1,001 by 1 ranking of Sofia Coppola films. Number seven, Marie Antoinette. Number six, On the Rocks. Number five, The Beguiled. Number four, The Bling Ring. Number three, Lost in Translation. Number two, The Virgin Suicides. And our number one cumulative top Sofia Coppola film, Somewhere. Awesome. Is that, I mean, you got your number seven, I got my number one. Is that... Is that fair in your mind? Did we do? My, did we my, do good work here? My nostalgic heart, of course, wants wants Virgin Suicides to be one, but uh, my 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 brain h- had to keep Marie Antoinette at seven. So yeah, I'm yeah. I'm just and I and again, I really liked Somewhere. So yeah, I think that that's a great list. I think it's a it's a good overall ranking of how we felt about the films. I, I think there are some cinephiles out there that are probably going to take issue with this. I'm hoping this is going to spark some kind of debate that somewhere landed at number one. Well, if people have an issue with that, they can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at 1001 by one We gladly welcome all comments, uh, whether you are agreeing with us or trying to stoke an argument. Uh, arguments healthy. Uh, I, I, I teach my students that I, I'm stealing this from... from uh, 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 a female uh, theater practitioner who I love to pieces um, uh, that Americans are plagued with the disease of agreement. And I believe that that's very true. So I love stoking a conscious debate. So um, find us and, and let us know what you think about these films and our rankings. Um, please find us on Apple podcast and Stitcher and Spotify, Google play, like rate review, subscribe, 
all of the things. Um, if you want to uh, pick a show that we talk about on our pod, you can find us at patreon.com slash 1001 by one And stay tuned as we have uh, back-to-back weeks of 50th anniversary crime films. I have not seen either. Ian's seen both. Should be a fun couple of weeks. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to all of that. Uh, please stay tuned. But until then, I am Adam. And I'm Ian. And we will see you next week. Bye.